because I feel that people are much more willing to go to a movie they think is going to be mediocre than they are willing to go to a movie that they think is going to be good. It's wrong to believe that people want to go to good movies. They're very suspicious of good movies. They're very willing to go to midstream movies. In other words, they want a little less. Allow me to introduce myself. Who knows what dastardly crime might perpetrate next? He's a very clever arch criminal who must be put away. Another innocent victim. podcast. I am BJ Smith, and I'm joined by my good friend, Reed Benson. How are you, Reed? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so we've been, it's been a busy week, and uh, we've got some things in the work works that we'll be talking about soon. Mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead and kick into it, because we've got a lot to talk about here. I didn't realize we had this much to talk about until I actually went through and was looking at what you've watched recently and what I've watched recently, and there's some there's some talking to do. Uh, so we're going to get into our segment, What We've Watched, and we'll kick it off with a movie that we've both been wanting to see for a while. I haven't gotten it, gotten around to it yet just because my life's been a hectic mess lately, but you actually got a chance to see it, and that is Burning. said uh, we both been looking forward to seeing this this was definitely one that i wanted to see before uh make before the next episode the year ends list um and uh yeah i i got a chance to see it and 
I saw yesterday, actually, I guess early today, because I saw in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, it's uh, it's a very interesting film. Um, I really liked it a lot. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a film that is like a it's a really slow it's a slow burn, and as you're kind of going through the film, the film almost develops into like I don't want to spoil it at all. I'm not going to. Um, because I absolutely went into went into this movie blind, and I think that's the best way to go into it. But it develops into like two different things. It, it almost starts off as like this romantic adventure film, and then it almost turns into like a love triangle, and then it turns into something almost like really sinister. And and it, the way the this film develops is just so interesting. I I had a blast watching this. Um, it, not in the blast is like oh this was like so much fun to watch because this film is. About a little over two hours, <clears throat> and it's definitely a, a slow burn like Roma was um, in that aspect. But the I, I think the slow pace really really helps with the film because, like I said, you you get sucked into these characters and and like the the story going on and to see it all on like I had absolutely no idea where this film was going. Um, I'm a I don't want to say I'm one to be like, oh, I know where this scene's going. I know where what's going to happen. But, like, from scene one, to think how scene one, the opening shot, the scene one started, to the way the movie ended, I would never have guessed it got to that point. And it's been a, it's one of those films that um, I've just been thinking about over and over and over again since I saw it, uh, since, like, since I woke up this morning, since I saw it last night. It's just one of those films that I just cannot stop thinking about. Um, just to illustrate this, uh, so I'm looking at on Letterboxd just the the brief, the brief little snippet that kind of uh, tells you what the movie's about. Yeah, and I've read this in the past. Originally, when I put it on my watch list, and I was curious as to what it was, and this to me is the most crazy, like nonsensical. <laughs> explanation i'm gonna read it real quick just so the listener understands and i'm sure this reveals like nothing really about the how it goes but it starts well it does when you watch the film but when you read it you're like what the fuck what's this (laughs) it starts by saying now tell me the truth delivery man jongsu is out on a job when he runs into jaime a girl who once lived in his neighborhood she asks if he'd mind looking after her cat while she's away on a trip to africa on her return she introduces to Jongsu, an enigmatic young man named Ben, who she met during her trip. And one day, Ben tells Jongsu about his most unusual hobby, dot, dot, dot. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, so actually what's hilarious is, I don't want to spoil the movie at all, but when the unusual hobby happens, I read it. Uh, like, right, I read, I went on the letterbox while I was watching the film, uh, and I was, because I wanted to see what this, like, description of this movie was. And again, I'm like halfway through the movie. And then the unusual thing was, I was like, oh, okay, this film's starting to make sense. And uh, when you see the film, it, that description makes sense. I feel like the whole cat thing gets like a, a bit too descriptive. I don't know. But even though it's all kind of set up in the first 10 minutes. But yeah, the story is so interesting. It's so weird that you just get sucked. These characters are are very they're very different but they're uh, and like kind of out there but they're believable the believable characters um all the three main leads that you mentioned um I don't know the other two but Stephen Yeun from uh Walking Dead fame he is probably the best out of the three he's fantastic I um outside of Walking Dead I think I, the only thing I've really even seen him in is like Sorry to Bother You 
um, and maybe some other roles. He, in this film, he has so many subtleties to his performance that just adds to this character, and that makes you feel like you're watching you know, like a real person. Like a, even even though he's a little bit weird, he you feel like you're watching a real person, and he's believable. Like little subtleties in his characters, in the in his character in his character that he performs. When you watch it, you'll understand because just like little things he does with his eyes, the way he reacts to stuff, it's just perfect. And the other two are absolutely great too. All all the three main leads here are great. And another thing that's fantastic about it is uh, the cinematography. Cinematography is incredible. Not only does the movie look great, but the way cer- certain shots and certain scenes are set up with all the choreography and that needs to go on for the- they're not like incredible blow away like The Revenant or something where it's trying to be like, hey, look at what we can do with the camera. Meanwhile, I love The Revenant and I love all that stuff, but it's not trying to like. Sh- show off in like hey look at all the things that we can do it's trying to set up the scene that it needs to and and the choreograph everything going through with the scene it's just the choreography like knowing how that all the things that need to go right for this scene for the shot to work for for cer- certain shots to work um it's just incredible and uh especially there's a specific um shot with especially uh at sunset it's like this one long take at like the sunset and if you know like when when the sun sets you know you don't have a lot of time you know i think it's probably like what like 15 minutes or something like that you don't have a lot of time to get a a perfect sunset take especially a one take shot so you gotta like if you don't get it right then you gotta wait like another day or two to get to get the shot again if you don't get it right the first time so there's just a lot of choreography that goes into a lot of these things that are just so great um and, uh, yeah, I can't, I'm just, like, thinking, while I'm talking about it, I'm just thinking of certain scenes, man. It's one of those films. Uh, I gave it a 4 out of 5 at first. Um, I'm going to keep it at there for now, although I'm thinking uh, more than I think about it, it might, it might go a little higher. It's definitely, uh, like I said, it, it's a film that I'm not, I have not stopped thinking about. It's, uh, I don't want to get too de- detailed into it because the way, how... I went in blind. I didn't know anything about it, and I think that's the best way to go into it. Just don't know much about it, and just let it play out, man. It's uh, it's a film. It's really good. I really enjoyed it, and I keep on thinking about it. So yeah, that was burning. So Steve Yoon's having a heck of a year between this and Sorry to Bother You, yeah. which uh, I haven't seen burning yet, but I'll take your word and basically everyone's word that I've I've heard so far, and that he's he's great in it. So yeah. It's kind of had a great year, and you know who else has had a great year? Hmm. Cinematic Horses. <laughs> so that leads me to talk about Lean on Pete and The Rider. I kind of bunched them both together here because both heavily feature horses. I feel like 2018 uh, is the, the year the, of the horses. The cinematic year of the horse between these two movies, and sorry to bother you. <laughs> I'm actually uh, allergic to horses, so fuck horses. <laughs> Uh, you should still watch these movies. Of course, yeah. They've been in my watch list for a while. So Lean on Pete, I, I, I guess I, I watched these kind of uh, on consecutive days or, or close to consecutive days. And naturally, I've seen just in my in my own head, but also with other reviewers that I follow, these two get compared to each other often. And I don't know how fair or unfair that is. I think it, I guess it's just a natural thing because they they kind of share some similar themes, but uh, they are pretty different movies. Uh, so Lean on Pete, I hate to call it kind of a coming of age tale, 
because I feel like it simplifies it and, uh, and makes it a little too generic. But that's what I'm going to call. No, not over your neck. Drape the rope over your shoulder. Good. All right. Come on. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Remember what I told you yesterday? Yep. Hook him up before you take the rope off because he'll run on you. Good. Yeah, that's right. Come on. See that Bob? This kid's a natural. Yeah. He's a good kid. And he ain't afraid of a hard day's work like some of these other kids. <laughs> Come on, Pete. Sorry. Just relax your arm. You're walking. <laughs> I know. I know. You're just excited. You did real good. Come on, Pete. You got it. <laughs> just happy. Here you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Stay ahead of him. Singing a song? So Lean on Pete is an A24 film, which is something you're predisposed to loving. Of course. Right off the bat. I'm kind of a sucker for uh, westerns, I guess you'd call them. And these are both sort of neo-westerns. Amer- they're, they're both set in the American West. Uh, both of them have like really beautiful cinematography, some just gorgeous shots. And both of these movies are just really sad. <laughs> uh, Lean on Pete is uh, definitely the slower of the two. It's it takes a while to get going. It's about a, a young a young man, young boy actually. I think he's 15 in the film, and he is living with his father. It's his uh, he's a single father. And he's taking care of an aging racehorse named Lean on Pete. When he finds out that Pete is bound to be slaughtered, stuff happens. <laughs> and that's about as specific as I'll get because this is really I, – I, I hesitate to call it a, a coming-of-age film, but I do call it that because, A, I mean you have all the ingredients here. You have a young man and – He's just he's dealing with a lot of things going on, none of which I can get into, other, otherwise it would spoil some major plot points in the film. This is one of those movies you can't you can't really say much about it without giving stuff away. So Charlie, the young man, takes Lean on Pete out west, and this is where he begins to deal with a lot of the tragedy that has happened to him in his short fifteen years. To say anything more than that would be to give too much away, but it is a very emotional story. The most striking thing in this film, Charlie Plummer is the actor, uh, the actor's name who plays Charlie in the film. And I was looking him up. He doesn't have a lot of credits. He has a handful of stuff, nothing that I think you or I would know him from. Uh, there was that movie, the Clovich, Clovich Killer, that came out earlier this year. Oh, I, I haven't seen it. I, it's on my computer. I've been waiting to see it. I don't. It looks, it looks interesting. All the money in the world, which was uh, notorious for Kevin Spacey being removed from the film. This kid is really fantastic. Like, best actor, fantastic. Maybe not for this year because I think. Uh, Ethan Hawke kind of deserves that, yeah, but he does. This kid is amazing. Like he's he's just fantastic. There's 
such a range that he goes through, and he's he's kind of like a a real stoic, quiet type. But when things get to be too much, the the emotion he shows and just how realistic it it all feels. He's he's the brightest spot of the entire movie, and this is a movie that I I enjoyed a lot. I, I gave it four stars on Letterboxd. Again, a, a gorgeous film, but this this young man is is by far the the best part about it. And speaking of great performances, that takes me to the writer. God, I just ask you to take care of Gus on his travels, Lord. Just be with him all the time and protect him. Keep him safe, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Directed by Chloe Zhao, I haven't seen any of her previous works. There's only one other one, and it was uh, something that came up a lot in the reviews I was reading for The Rider. It was a, a movie called Songs My Brother Taught Me. I'm curious to see it now because I, it apparently shares a lot of the same themes with The Rider. But this uh, young lady, this young director, has ha- has a heck of an eye. She's a She's going to be – I mean she is a director, but I mean when she gets even more credits under her belt, she's going to be some someone people talk about often. This movie is gorgeous. Again, it's set in the American West, so uh, not to minimize it, but you could point a camera pretty much in any direction and yeah, get a gorgeous amazing. shot. Yeah, yeah so um, – but the, the one thing – this is a, a sidetrack, but the one interesting thing I saw was uh, – looking at Chloe Zhao on Letterboxd to see like what uh, other work she has done. She's been hired by Marvel to do <laughs> one of the, uh, the movies coming up. So oh. unless, unless this is uh, in here as an accident, they have the Eternals with her being, her directing it, which is, Good for Marvel, going out and finding some really awesome indie directors yeah. to, to handle stuff. That's kind of what they tend to be doing lately, all the new ones, like uh, Homecoming. Spider- they, that's what they do. They get uh, indie directors. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. I forgot the guy's name. Taya Wakiti, I think that's pronounced his name. Uh, he did a... Uh, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi, yeah. That's, uh, if, uh, he did a... Uh, what We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, and he did uh, a couple other ones that I'm forgetting right now. But yeah, they tend to get uh, indie directors. And, and that's what they should do because that's like the sh- 
Thor Ragnarok was one of the best movies they've ever done. And that you can, if you watch what we do in the shadows and watch Thor Ragnarok, that movie is 100% Taiko Atiti's influence. Oh yeah. 100%. As to why it's great. I mean, James Gunn, look at James Gunn. He was indie pretty much super. Yeah. But then they, but then they fired him. That's another story. So back to the writer. This movie is an amazing experiment that really should – it really has no business being as good as it is. And I love this film. I went four and a half on it. None of the main actors in this movie are actors. Oh, so, really? No. Like – again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm giving the same feedback for this movie that I gave on Lean and Pete. But the lead actor in this one, who's a, a, a little bit older, he's you know in his 20s, not an actor at all. And he's amazing. He so this this film is about a, a rodeo rider who's very popular in this town. Like he's well known, like a local celebrity, just because of how good he is and how good he is with horses. And he helps people break the horses and train them and do all that all that stuff. Anyway, he takes a nasty gets a nasty injury. It's a head injury. The movie actually starts the very first frame. You see just this giant gash going almost the length of his of his skull, and it's all stapled up. And then you kind of unpack from there what all is going on, and, and it's apparent immediately that uh, the main character's name is uh, Brady, and the the main actor's name is Brady. But it becomes apparent that. He had this horrific accident while doing what he loves to do, and he suffered brain damage in as much as not – he doesn't have any cognitive defects, but there are things he, – he just can't do it anymore, and the doctors keep telling him that, and he's determined to do it. He's going to – everything he's doing is leading up to him being able to do what he loves again. But anytime he kind of makes that effort to try to step back into it, his health, his body, his head just does not allow that anymore. So a lot of the movie is him trying to come to grips with all that. Uh, he has a sister in the film. The sister in the film is his real-life sister. He has a father in the film. <laughs> it's his real life father. That name is the whole family. It, I, that's what I'm saying, and they're all really good. It's uh, it's really crazy. If you look, if you pull up on Letterbox and look at the cast, they changed the last name for a lot of these people just for the sake of you know scripting, but it's it's their names. Uh-huh. And so, in in doing research, Chloe Zhao, the director, is really close with uh, Brady. Jandrow, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but this is his story. Like he he lived this. Oh, so he's playing himself basically. He's playing himself in the story of him, of everything he's been through. Now, from what I've from, from what I've read, of course, there's there's some liberties taken, some artistic, you know how they do, but like the essence of the writer, the film is Brady, the real life cowboys story that's what really makes this unique but what really puts it over the top is like it like i said it just it has no business being as good as it is because he's just fantastic the emotion he brings to it the performance again he's another like a a strong stoic type like uh, charlie on lean on pete but 
maybe about 10, 10 to 15 years older. And, uh, man, it's just, some of these scenes are, are heart wrenching. Again, it's another, another sad film. It's, it's a film that tackles a lot of big questions that I don't know the answers to. And I don't think the movie is really setting out to give you answers, but it's just all about how do, how do you move on from something that you're, that you've always felt destined towards. And, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. I like this. I like the rider a little bit more than lean on Pete's. And this is another one. I liked it when it ended and then I started thinking about it and thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, the higher the score went. And uh, I've been thinking about it for days now. It's just a really great watch. I've seen some of the critics I follow put it on the, their top of the year list. I've seen one or two of them put it like in the top three. And uh, yeah, it's just it's definitely worth watching. I feel like this, this both this and Lean on Pete really went under the radar I, I feel like they were kind of released around the same time and i didn't hear much about them until uh the year-end season or earlier a couple months ago actually yeah start seeing some critics reviews rolling in but it, it felt like most people weren't talking about them yeah i wanted to see lean on pete a while ago but it's another one that i just haven't got to i never heard of the writer actually really until, until you reviewed it so yeah I don't remember where I it, – it had to have been one of the uh, one of the people I follow on Letterboxd. Sam Van Hogren, I, I referenced him a couple times in the last episode. Uh, he's a critic I follow, producer for Film Spotting Podcast. I think his review is kind of like what put me over to where I was like, I need to watch this immediately. Uh, because I, I think he may have actually put this as number one on his list. But even looking through right now, like all the – all the critics, all the people I follow, pretty much everyone has it very highly rated. Uh, Sean Baker ha- gave a really favorable review of it. You need to watch them because I'm really curious to see uh, your take on it. I have no doubt that you'll like both of them. I'm oh, curious yeah. as to which you'll like more and to, uh, and to what you have to say about them. But yeah, both, for everyone listening, both definitely go out of your way to, to see them. Both really quality. If they're depressing, you'll know I'll like them. So. They, they are depressing. Hey, uh, bingo. I'm in. There, I, I, I don't mean that it's just like a kind of a, a drudge where it's just depressing and it's nothing more. Well, I like that. There, there's moments and glimmers of hope, but both of these are very much just real life stories. They both feel like real life people. In the case of the writer, I mean, it is a real life person playing himself. Yeah. So, uh, who better to play it? I guess when you think about it. But both, both highly recommended. But we'll move on. Again, another film that I've been wanting to see, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. I actually got to see about 10 minutes of it, and then some chaos at work happened, and I haven't gotten back to it yet. Uh, but Reed's here to give us a proper review of The Sisters Brothers. What's wrong with you? Remember what happened last night? Yes. And? You remember that you hit me? I hit you? I hit you? Stop pretending. And spare me the out-of-remember routine. You hit me in public, Charlie. So as sure as you're looking at me right now, I'm leaving. No, wait, 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 wait. All right, what do you want? It's about slapping each other in public. After I slap you, you slap me back, breathing. So go ahead, hit me, hit me. (laughs) 
Christ! What is your goddamn problem? I slapped you and whacked you in the head with a shovel. <laughs> you do remember. It's uh, it's been a f- uh, a movie that I have been wanting to see basically since TIFF, since the reviews started coming in. And um, <clears throat> the Sister Brothers, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, John C. Riley, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and then Riz Ahmed. Uh, a really great cast, just those four. And I thought this film was really, really good. Really, really good. Um, so John C. Riley's been—he's such a goofball. <laughs> he, he, every like every role that I've pretty much seen him in besides well bo- even in boogie nights he was he was a bit he's the weird oddball one but like he's always uh been you know stepbrothers talladega nights uh that new holmes and watson movie he was in magnolia wasn't he oh yeah he was he was the cop he yeah the cop. he that was a more i mean he was still kind of a little goofy but he that yeah. was a more serious role but yeah. i i had the same thing like when I I was talking to you like right when I started it, and I never surpassed the point, which I'm sure you'll talk about, but because I, I only got literally ten fifteen minutes in, but I never got to the point in this movie where I was able to to disconnect from him being, you know, stepbrothers. Yeah, yeah. My my exact wording to you, I think, was I really wish they would make a cowboy version of the stepbrothers. <laughs> that would be hilarious, but it would be hilarious. Well. Who knows after Holmes and Watson, but um, but yeah, I uh, this film he was great. They're all great. All four of them are great. I mean, Walking Phoenix. When is Walking Phoenix ever not bad? I think we talked about that in a previous episode. But when is he? He he's never been. I don't think I've ever seen him bad in any role whatsoever. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal brings another fantastic performance. The, it's those two are probably two of the best working today easily. Uh, and Riz Ahmed is also really goddamn good. Um, I'm trying to, what was that HBO? Oh, the night before. He was fantastic in that. <clears throat> he wasn't so great in Venom, but he didn't do anything to Venom. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was great as well. They're all, all four of them are great. The thing is, they, they don't, they don't outshine one another. They're all, like, really great on, like, a, they're all, like, equally great. It's, uh, it's really cool. And, uh, this film was awesome. This film was really good. Um, <clears throat> this film looks beautiful. Cinematography is fantastic. They actually shot this in digital, um, which for like a true Western, like, you know, the 1800s Western, you think, you know, the kind of thing you, you think to go to is a film, you know, to shoot on film. It just looks more like a Western, looks more gritty. And they actually shot this on digital and actually looks beautiful. My that was a lot of the criticism that Ballad of Buster Scruggs got yeah. from a lot of the reviews I read. I, that, I personally thought it looked beautiful. Not this film, uh, Buster Scruggs. Yeah. I, th- I thought it looked gorgeous well, uh, I feel digital. Like, that, but... like the digital almost there was kind of like on purpose in a way because like they wanted to kind of match like a less serious tone. With... Oh, yeah. It, it did make it feel a little more cartoony. I mean, yeah. but when you, when you kick off with Buster Scruggs, you yeah, kind of set the tone. Well, exactly. And, and the digital is almost like a choice for that, a purpose for that. Whereas here, um, isn't, it's not, it's a very, it's not dark. It is dark at points, but it's trying to be a true gritty Western and it's shot on digital, but it still looks like a true gritty Western, which is awesome. Um, 
the this movie isn't about like getting from point A to point B. It is. Like they try to there's certain plot points where they have to get from a certain place to a certain place. It's not necessarily about the ride there. It's about ex- certain experiences that happen while they're trying to achieve their goal and their destiny. And it's really cool. And I was really liking that. It was about it's more about personal experiences and what happens to these characters and what you're fo- and how you're following them instead of like an actual journey that goes on. It's really cool. It, and it's a really interesting film. A lot this film is marketed uh, I remember when I first saw the trailer for this. I think I saw this before some movie and it's marketed as a comedy. It's uh, it has some funny. No, not not really. <laughs> I mean, it's it's more of a drama. It's a drama than anything. Um, it's a drama adventure movie that is really well done in every aspect. Um, it's uh, yeah. I need to see this director's more more of his work. I've not seen anything of it. From what I can tell, um, every from what I've heard from somebody that reviewed it that all that have seen his previous films is that they're all very depressing. Um, and this one definitely, especially towards the third act, uh, kind of goes that route, but it's, uh, it, and there's a lot of shocking, shocking stuff that happens. That's really well done. It's a really good film. The, the dialogue's great. All the acting is great and all, everything from a technical level. is just uh, beautiful. Um, and really well done. Um, and yeah, I don't have much else to say about it. It's just a really good film. Um, I landed four, four, I landed four stars on it. Um, and yeah, it's just a really good film that I, I would recommend. Definitely go into it though. If you saw like the trailers or whatever for it, definitely go in thinking that it's a drama. Um, and like I said, and the whole John C. Riley thing, uh, I guess I didn't really talk about that, but like after 10 minutes, I was complete, I completely sold into his, I completely bought into his character. He was, uh, he really transformed and was also, do they all four were just like really great. They all had time to shine. There was no one that was just like, oh yeah, like Joaquin Phoenix was better than them or Jake Gyllenhaal was. They all, the four of them were just like equally great. So, um, do I have anything else to say about it? I don't think so. Oh, uh, one thing about I love about it was, <clears throat> one more thing, just a little small detail that they did in the film. But to really kind of set into the tone and the uh, and the time period that we're in uh, in the movie, they would uh, show like John C. Riley learning. It's little things like using a toothbrush for the first time, figuring out what a toothbrush is for the first time, or like using a toilet for the first time, flushing a toilet, and like that's it, it's. You might be thinking, oh, that's kind of small, but like it's the small things that really help you get into these characters and get into the time period that these, that these people were living in, um, that not a lot of people, uh, or not a lot of movies I've seen other in the uh, Western do that before. Um, so I just want to mention that real quick. I thought that was pretty cool, but, um, do I have anything else to say? No, it was a really good film. Uh, and I would recommend it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. The last, movie we're going to cover here before taking a short little break is a film I believe we covered perhaps on our first or second episode, and it's a movie that you saw and immediately messaged me and told me to watch it because you felt like I would love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm here in an awkward position having just last episode declared Roma as the most beautiful film aesthetically of 2018, Ooh. and I have to go back on that statement because uh, Cold War – is the most beautiful film of 2018, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
ognia pływać, będziemy ze sobą bywać. Nauczymy ognia pływać, będziemy ze sobą bywać. Dziękuję bardzo. Dziękujemy. Przepraszam, a pani, yy, pani z grzywką, czy pani mogłaby tak coś yy, od siebie? Zaśpiewać? Tak. Jak mnoga dziewuszek haroszych, jak mnoga laskawych imion, no li żadno ich nikt trwożyt, u nas ja pokoi son, jak da w Lublion. Dziękuję bardzo. Jeszcze refren. Sierce, ciebie nie choczyć za pokoja. Sierce, jak haraszo na świecie żyć. Sierce, jak haraszo, to ty takoje. Spasiba, sierce, co ty umiejesz tak lubić. Skąd pani to wzięła? Z filmu. Byli u nas na wsi z takim kinem objazdowym i pokazywali ruski film. Świat się śmieje, ona tam była. I o czym to jest? O miłości, no, serce. Yeah, that and Roma. It's sure. I, it's an interesting discussion because Roma, I mean, Roma is gorgeous. I, my my problems with the narrative aside, Cold War was just striking. Both of them were. I mean, it's not. It's it's. It feels wrong to put one above the other, but I don't know. Just Cold War. The a lot of the framing in this film just was so unique to me. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why I didn't. I think Roma might be a little bit better because uh, Ida, uh, his the director's previous work, is like basically the same framing. So I feel like I've almost seen it twice. But they're both just beautiful, and the way the lighting is too in the film. Oh yeah, like, like when like the the audience shots where it's like everyone is lighted, but just one person, the the main character that you're supposed to be focusing on, is lighted. Just a little bit more, but it's so subtle. It's just so I love this film. Uh, it stands at a four and a half for me right now. This is a film that hasn't left my head since I, I finished watching it. The director we speak of is Paul Polakowski. Again, I may have butchered that, but I it's a I Polish film. It. I butchered it too, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, phonetically, it seems like it might be right, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, so this is a black and white film, and it's just that. That high contrast black and white look that I love so much. I, I watch a lot of these movies just because I'm a photographer, and that's I spend a lot of my time and a lot of the years trying to hone that and learn all about that. I watch a lot of these with a photographer's eye, which I, I guess translates a little into video. Well, I, I mean, it does translate. The thing that's really unique with this film and with what Reed said with Ida, which is a film I haven't seen yet. He composes a lot of his shots on the lower third, which means there's a, a tenant in photography and videography that says you split the frame up into three equal segments, uh, horizontally and vertically. Mm -hmm. And if you compose on one of those intersects, or it doesn't even have to necessarily be at one of the intersects, but any one of those lines or points where they intersect is where the eye is most naturally drawn to for – you know, someone looking at a photograph, or in this case, someone watching a movie, and that's a rule. I mean, almost to a fault. When I when I shoot photography, I, I stick to the rule of thirds, just because 
I feel like photos that abide by that are much better than photos that don't. And uh, I almost never center, center compose at all, unless it's a portrait. The one thing you don't see often is someone composing on the lower third, which would be the lower third of the frame. And almost all of this movie is like set in the lower third, which is really unique and kind of gutsy. It's something I've always thought of doing, but I never had the guts to do it because you're leaving so much above the subject's head of like empty space. But this director, he does it in such a way that it's not anything you even really think about. Like it's every composition, every frame of this is just staged so beautifully that I don't know, it was just so unique and interesting to me. And that's not even getting into what the movie's about, which is again, Reed suggested it so it's heartbreaking. It's uh I like how every time I suggest something it's just <laughs> I just I just know it's going to be said. <laughs> it's about it's a Polish film and it's about uh post post war Poland. So we're we're looking, you know, in the years that followed World War Two and it's about this this love story but it's that kind of love story where these two almost tragically or definitely tragically can't live with each other and they can't live without each other. And it's one of those things where all these circumstances are thrown in the way over the years and sometimes they're near and sometimes they're far, but it's almost like they just always eventually come back together, even though there are things that separate them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really bleak affair, but it's uh really beautiful as well. And it's completely elevated by, uh, the director. Yeah. A lot of the, th- uh, some, some of the interesting points I, I've come across in other reviews were, the fact that it is it is post-war and it, it's a very apparent thing in the film. I mean, it's not something that can be hidden. I mean, you're having these romantic scenes, and in the city streets, there's blown out buildings and everything. So it's Poland's on the men from the war. You got to think. We obviously have never had to deal with something like this, but no, trying to love or maintain some normalcy or normal relationship coming out of the traumatic events of a war where your your country is like completely torn apart that's what a lot of this movie deals with and that's all i'm going to say it's a shorter film it's only 88 minutes long it flies by it's not a i i didn't find this to be a difficult watch at all it's difficult in that it's Again, it's a pretty bleak affair, but it's a completely worthwhile watch. It's one of my favorites of the year. It's going to be talked about next episode again. Uh, <laughs> That's a lot of movies but, that we talk have been talking about lately. Yeah, but uh, this was just uh, this was just beautiful. Uh, in my in my opinion, again, the, the most beautiful film of 2018 aesthetically, and also very beautiful in uh, narratively and. I mean, I didn't even talk about the acting. Joanna Kulig, who plays uh, Zula in the film, is just incredible. She 
will make you love her and she will make you frustrated by her <laughs> all at the same time. But man, she was fantastic. And she's, she was in Ida as well. I mean, I, I she was just, a very small role in that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was incredible. I, I absolutely adored her performance in this. Was there anything else you wanted to address about this film? I know you talked about it a couple episodes ago, but no, I don't think so. I didn't love it as much as you do, but I thought it was really, really good. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say. the 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 main thing that took me away was just how beautiful this film was. Both of the f- uh, films that we think are the most beautiful of the year are in black and white. So, people, yeah, they are sh- shooting black and white, my peeps. Serduszka, cztery oczy Ojojoj Co płakały we dnie w nocy All right, and we're back. You were just listening to Two Hearts, Four Eyes, as sung by Joanna Kulig, like we were speaking of earlier from the movie Cold War. Uh, we're going to continue into uh, what we've watched recently with a little bit of a Netflix roundup here. I've paired both of these films together because, honestly, I don't have too much to say about my end of it. Recently, I watched Bird Box on Netflix, and I went into it a little excited. I, I It's not something... I really knew much about or kept up with, but I saw, you know, in a few days, a few days prior, some Netflix Netflix advertising. But some of the early things I was hearing about the movie was comparing it to The Mist, and I'm on record as saying The Mist might be the most depressing film of all time. Yep, uh, <laughs> something and I love it. A movie I've only watched one time. And it's been over a decade since I've seen it. I enjoyed it, but it was that level depressing. But Bird Box is not the mist. It it leans on the spectrum. It leans more towards the happening than the mist. Open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes. 
have you been feeling? Have you been sleeping any better? Oh, rough. Then again, I never slept well before. I was... Condition. Condition? It's called pregnancy. It's okay to say it out loud. Can you just please drive? Did you see something? Come inside! What's going on? People describe seeing an entity that takes on the form of your worst fears. Oh my god. What are you looking at? What did you see? What is wrong with you? Please stop it! Can't stay here. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. Your kids, they deserve hope. Every single decision I have made has been for them. Going on the trip now, it's going to be rough. Hold on! If you hear something in the woods, you tell me. If you hear something in the water, you tell me. But under no circumstance are you allowed to take off your blindfold. Did you hear that? <laughs> the only thing that I've seen from this film is everyone posting about it on Facebook and like memes and stuff. Like every time I open my Facebook, bird box, bird box, bird box, and it makes me not want to watch the film at all. It's not n- it's not something I'm going to recommend. I, I gave it three stars, which is uh more generous than most, I think. It's fine. It's not it's not bad. It's fine. But it's not worth your time i wouldn't go out of your way to see it it's uh yeah it's it's very much like a cross between the happening you you, there's kind of a missed vibe to it but i guess it ultimately comes down to i just didn't care that much about these characters is the ending as depressing as the mist no damn it then i don't want to see it the one good thing about this film sandra bullock's pretty good but there's a little girl in this film and she's amazing she's like a what can't be more than three or four years old maybe five but she's incredible oh. uh machine gun kelly's in it for some reason and uh <laughs> yeah i he, don't want yeah no please i'm good <laughs> he was awful i couldn't take him seriously his lines were awful the the other good thing is uh, John Malkovich is in it, and John Malkovich is incredible in everything. He just he plays such a good jerk, like better than everybody. Oh yeah, 
other than that, it's not something I can recommend very much. It's fine if you got time and nothing better to do. It's a little over two hours. Yeah, there's there's just not much going on here. The other film I haven't seen yet. I look forward to seeing it because I'm a huge Black Mirror fan. Uh, but I, again, I just haven't had the time amidst all the chaos of the last week or two. But Reed actually got a chance to sit down and watch Bandersnatch, the film that dropped just a few days ago. What did you think of that? Keep having these vivid dreams, like thinking weird things. What sorts of things? We're going to be a hit factory, like Motel, but for computer games. You heard it here first. Bandersnatch. It's an adventure game based on the book. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? When it's a concert piece, a bit of madness is what you need. You're not hearing voices or... No voices, but there is something. Bandersnatch was the final straw. You see the bigger picture. Stefan, you're worrying me. Leave Stefan out of this. Your fate has been dictated. You're not in control. It was pretty good. Um, So let's talk about this. Um, Bandersnatch. So... I'm not the biggest Black Mirror – well, I shouldn't say Black – I haven't seen all Black Mirror. Um, I've seen the very first episode. I think I've seen like three episodes in full. I've seen the very first episode, um, the one with Daniel Kaluuya, um, which is also in the first season, I believe. And then, That's the uh, second episode. Yeah, it's the second. So I've seen the first two episodes. And then, um, oh, it's the really – it's the one that like everyone knows. Why can't I think of it? I don't remember the name. San Junipero. Maybe. Uh, I guess I'll spoil this episode. Who cares? It's about the kid, and he gets like he has to like kill a person, and he you find out that he was. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You find out that he was doing some naughty stuff. Uh, but uh, so that that was one. Those are the three that I've seen. So and I need to watch more Black Mirror because it seems like right down my alley. Um, so Bandersnatch is, uh, a, a interactive movie, um, in the sense that you get a pick which, what, what, you get a pick between options, between, like, you even, it goes to the point where you even pick, um, at the beginning, this is a, hardly a spoiler, but you get to pick what cereal you eat, which is like... What when I went this, I was like, "Oh my god, are we gonna do like this bullshit? Where we're gonna do this all the time? <laughs> where we're gonna pick, uh, you know, what we're gonna eat?" But um, yeah, it, it's actually pretty cool in that way because you also get to pick. Um, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. It's not really a spoiler at all. Actually, no, it's not. But you get to pick uh, between. He goes to a, a record store and buy a record, and you get to pick which record he gets to choose. And if you choose. Whichever one, you, that's actually the score that plays throughout the rest of the movie. 
Uh, oh, that's neat. Yeah, so that's pretty neat. That's really cool. The movie ends up around 90 minutes, and I believe all the time through all the different choosing that you do is like five hours and 12 minutes or something like that. Um, I heard there was five hours of footage for the movie, yeah, depending like, on the choices. Depending on the choices, um, you get to choose. I, ha- I haven't gone through all the choices, but even when once you finish the movie, you actually get to go back and see the different endings, I believe. It, it, that's what I did. But I don't know. It didn't. I obviously wasn't there for five hours and twelve minutes, so I don't know about that. But the movie itself um, is pretty interesting. It's pretty good. I guess my biggest issue with it is that it's uh, it's kind of just like it's kind of like you know like this is the world we live in. The government is everything. You know, like like all that kind of propaganda stuff. That just kind of seems it's kind of ridiculous. But th- at the same time, this movie knows how ridiculous this is. And it's not trying to take itself too seriously. So, and that aspect, it was really good. Um, and uh, but I had a blast with this, like picking different picking different routes to go from whatever you're trying to go through was fun. And then even going back to see what could have happened this way or that way is fun. Once you kind of once you kind of end the movie, you don't get really much else out of it though. Um, it's just kind of over. It's not something that makes you think about it too much or anything like that but i mean it was pretty fun and it's a pretty wild ride there's you know if you select some some scenes or some uh some different choices then you get some pretty pretty crazy uh pretty fun uh scenes that ultimately lead to nothing and you have to like go back and pick another route but it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun movie that you get to go through um all the acting's pretty good um stars a kid from dunkirk uh, I can't remember his name, but I started to get from Dunkirk, and he's he's fine. And it even it even like um you know because it's based on the book Bainersnatch, which I'm not sure is a real book, but it's uh it even like you know because he he's trying to like make it like his own game where they can choose anything that they absolutely want between two things, and even like it even it's even self aware in that aspect. That, like, you can do what you want, but you ultimately lead to a certain thing that's designed designed to lead you to a certain place in the story and a narrative. And it's pretty cool. It, it's a, it's definitely something that I would recommend. Um, I had a fun time in, uh, watching it. It's hard to go into it without spoiling it too much, but I definitely really did enjoy it. The, I guess... Um, I guess if I have any issues with it, it's just kind of like another Black Mirror episode, except a little longer, which is the intent. It's not necessarily a movie. Um, it definitely does look like a TV show, but at the same time, it's done. It's pretty good. Um, I enjoyed it myself. I had a blast watching it. Uh, I guess uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about it. Just the whole interactive thing was cool. It's not the first thing that's done. You know, Telltale Games, all that stuff. Uh, it's not the first first thing to do it. But to, to have it in movie form and for for anyone to do it in a movie form for sure, uh, like a full-fledged movie form on Netflix, Black Mirror is definitely the thing that just makes sense for it to happen. Um, so I'm trying to think. But the fact that there's so much planning towards it, the fact that there's supposedly five hours of footage for it, I'm going to give it props for it. Um, it's definitely a experience that you will not get anywhere else. It's a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed watching it. So, um, 
Do I have anything else to say? I don't think so. It's just it was just a really fun experience, and the fact that you get to choose different things for how the movie plays out is actually really cool. So I recommend it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I am uh, going to digress here for a second because, as I stated, I am a big Black Mirror fan, and the fact that you've only seen three episodes is a shocking to me. Yeah, but b not something I can stand idly by and let happen. <laughs> this is a film, or this is a uh, a TV series that is right up your alley. I know, which is such a shame for me. You you mentioned you saw the first two uh, the first two episodes of the first season. Mm-hmm. The first episode, a lot of people love it. I th- I felt like it was one of the weaker ones. I actually really like the second episode with uh, Daniel Kaluuya in it, but. You stopped short of one of the best episodes in the entire series, and it's episode three of season one called The Entire History of You. Most episodes of Black Mirror are bleak, which is why I think you'll love it. But this (laughs) – this – I'm not going to give a review of it or anything. You just need to watch it. But The Entire History of You is so good that Robert Downey Jr.'s production company bought the rights to make it into a full-fledged movie. Oh, wow. I don't know when that or if that's going to happen because, you know, Hollywood. And I read that a, a number of years ago when I first started watching the series. But the entire history you is fantastic. And there's, I mean, there's there's standout episodes. You can throw a rock and hit a great episode of this show. My One of my personal favorite episodes came last season called Hang the DJ. It's very much like if you took a Black Mirror episode and made like a beach version of it <laughs> where things well, aren't, sense. aren't completely bleak <laughs> uh and it has one of the best endings of the entire series but i'll shut up now but you need to watch them and everyone if, if you never watch black mirror uh what are you what are you doing go watch black mirror yeah it's it's one of those shows that like i've heard about for a long time then i heard about it and then i watched the first two episodes uh, I actually saw the, the, the episode I talked about, I forget the name of it, um, the one that I mentioned. I watched that one first. It was kind of one of those I was like, this this is so shocking. Watch. Shut Up and Dance, the uh, the one with the kid? Yeah, yeah, Shut Up and Dance. That's what it's called, yeah. I watched that one. That was the first one, so I was like, okay, I'm going to start from the very beginning and watch it. So I watched episode one, episode two, and I think I just I just stopped after that. But, but yeah, it's definitely a show that I know that I love. I'm just lazy (laughs) so moving on uh i saw bad times at the all royale recently drew goddard's uh latest lady's got a hotter hand than we do father i am very sorry to keep you waiting yeah boy where you been Waiting in this lobby so long, I could use a shave. What's wrong with you? I'm very sorry. What are you doing here, Father? Do I know you, son? No, but I mean, this is not a place for a priest, Father. You shouldn't be here. (laughs) We might need to work on your sales pitch, son. (laughs) The El Royale. No place for a priest. (laughs) There are other hotels, Father. Maybe closer to Tahoe, I could help you find one. I'm sure you would be happier there. Uh, Miles, is it? This is not a place for a priest, Miles. 
then this is exactly where the Lord wants me. And this is really great. I'm going to be brief. I don't have a ton to say. It's not what I was expecting. And I, to tell you the truth, I don't know what I was expecting because I avoid trailers for the most part. Unless it's, unless it's a Marvel movie, I'm not going to really watch the trailer. This was very unique. And I would suggest if, if you haven't – if you don't know anything about this movie yet, don't watch the trailers. Just go into it cold. Uh, you won't be sorry. It's it's highly entertaining. It's kind of uh, it's kind of like the hateful eight, except yeah. that, I mean, it's not cowboys at all or or western. It's set in the the seventies, I believe. Chris Hemsworth plays a shirtless cult leader. Uh, Which is always good. Yeah, it's just it's one of those types of films where you know various people arrive at a building. Everyone has a backstory, but you're not quite sure what's going on or who you can trust or or even if the characters that you seem to like while watching, you can trust because everyone kind of has another side to them. And that's the extent of what I'll say about it because most of the fun of this film is going in cold and not realizing what's going on. There's some really strong performances. Chris Hemsworth is awesome in this. Lewis Pullman plays uh, Miles Miller. He's uh, like a a bellhop or a – I don't know what the proper term is – bellhop, uh, concierge type at the hotel. They're all arriving at the El Real, which is a hotel. It's situated on the border between California and Nevada. And his performance in this is amazing. He's one of the – he's – one of the most startling characters of the entire film where you, th- you think you have him figured out and then he, it changes and then it changes again. Hateful Eight's probably the best summation of this film or the best comparison. But I also got like a kind of a Clue vibe, but I feel like that's kind of disrespectful uh, <laughs> be- because it's better than Clue. But it was it's very much a, 100% of the fun of this film is trying to figure the people out and realizing that you can't figure them out. I, I guess that that's that's the extent of what I'm going to say. It's really good. I went four stars on it. Just really fun. I've, I've noticed a couple critics it landing on a couple people's year-end lists. A lot of people liked it more than I did, but I liked it a lot to begin with. So it's definitely worth checking out. Drew Goddard's a, a guy, a director, a writer – that uh, I really look forward to his stuff now. He's he's had a string of like really fantastic stuff between this cabin in the woods. He wrote The Martian, uh, World War Z, Cloverfield. Oh, uh, World War Z. World War Z wasn't that bad. Yeah. It's like three and three and a half. I think it went like two. He yeah. wrote it. He wrote it. He didn't direct World War Z. Well, that 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 film went through like major rewrites, major reshoots. So. Oh yeah, and the director and Brad Pitt like hated each other. Yeah, so who knows? Who knows? Drew Goddard's responsible for Cabin in the Woods, which is one of the smartest, funniest horror movies of you know that I can even think of. Yeah, agreed. In particular, I, I like his writing. In particular, he's he's proven himself to be like a really competent and really enjoyable director. So he's apparently doing the X Force movie next. So that should be a lot of fun. I hope X Force. That would be uh, X Men. No, that's Deadpool. Oh. And the X-Force. I see. We're going to wrap this up here with a 4K review. Reed and I, in the last few episodes, have talked about 4K almost in an increasingly 
large amount of time. It keeps to grow, it seems to grow every episode, but that's kind of cool. I, I 4K some uh, medium that I love and read has recently come to love, and uh, we both got 2001: A Space Odyssey on 4K. I haven't had a chance to to watch it yet. Mine literally just came in the mail yesterday. But Reed's had his for about a week or so, and he's been gushing about it for the last week. Yeah. So I wanted to, him to uh, to go ahead and give a quick review. Not so much of the movie, because we know the movie's a classic, and I know how much Reed loves it to begin with. But uh, just the video quality, what you thought, overall impressions. Well, so, um, yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey is... Uh, after this 4K release, one of the most beautiful flicks of all time. Um, not only is Stanley Kubrick, I've said that with uh, his other film called Barry Lyndon, which is destined for a deep dive one day, but it's uh, this film is just, with this 4K release, is just beautiful, my goodness. So... Beach has actually never seen 2001 Space Odyssey, so I can't really compare certain scenes for him until he watches it, of course. But um, compare, compare, like you said, you comparing it to even the Blu-ray release, it is just so freaking beautiful. There are some scene shots that I swear are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, and it's so simple. There's such a simple... Shot like for there's one scene where he's just walking down a hallway. I guess it would be a hallway in a space, in a spacecraft, in the spacecraft that he's in, in a spacesuit that he's walking down with the breathing, uh, which is the only thing I'll give I'll get to um, without kind of spoiling it. But everyone's seen 2001: Space Odyssey besides Beach. So, um, but uh, <laughs> with the breathing of the of the mask and. It is just wow, like it's just incredible. Um, there are just so many shots in this film. There's a the moon sequence for people who have seen the film is gorgeous. It is incredible. That that's when I truly not when I because shots before them just looked incredible as well. But that's when I was I I looked at my screen and I go I I literally went. Are you fucking kidding me? How does this look so good? This is just... And the film already looks good. For 1968, the film now even holds up. It still holds up. Obviously, you're not going to get CGI bullshit. It's obviously the figurines. But it looks... Still looks incredible. Even without the fork. Even the Blu-ray looks incredible. So this 4K just adds a whole new layer to it. It it it's just it's incredible. Uh, I I love this. I love it so much. It looked it it bring. I love 2001: Space Odyssey. It's one of my favorite flicks of all time. It's a classic. Um, but it's one of those. F- it, this just made me find like a whole new appreciation for it and a whole new another layer to this already layered film that you can already love and appreciate. Um, yeah, 2001 is a fantastic flick. Um, and this just makes it look so freaking beautiful. The colors, the colors in this film, my God, they pop. They just, I, Oh, I love it so much. It's, um, 
I want to go describe the film, but I'm not going to. Just the film just looks incredible. Everything about it looks fantastic. There are like maybe one or two shots in here that you could tell that they couldn't really up the 4K, and you can even tell that the film was a little bit damaged. Maybe that's fine. I mean, it's it is what it is. What can you do? But the fact that 90% of this movie is some of the most beautiful thing that I've seen is just uh, yeah, it's incredible. Um, everything about it. I love this film and I love the way this movie looks. Uh, even the space stuff. I mean, the set to when it really shines is the space stuff. It just looks fantastic and the colors pop so much. Um, and yeah, it's just, like I said, it's 4k. 4k is, uh, something that I've really come to love and appreciate recently after getting my 4k TV. Um, I remember when 4k first came out, I kind of just looked at it. And I was like, ah, who, who wants to get that right now? It's more expensive. And then I, I, you know, Beach was telling me about it, and now I got one. And I'm like, well, of course, I'm behind. It's fantastic. And this movie looks incredible. Um, is there anything else I want to say about it? No. Uh, everything about it is just, it, it's 2001, and it looks incredible. It looked incredible before, and now it looks incredible now. So um, even more incredible, which is just just blew my mind. Um, I'm excited for Beach to see it um, and hear his opinions about it and how it looks so then we can both gush about it. So, yeah. So I may not have seen the movie itself, but I have seen a documentary which kind of plays into this a little bit. It's on Netflix now, and I, I'm not going to do a review of it. I'm, I've been waiting for Reed to watch it. <clears throat> But it's called Film Worker. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. It's only an hour and a half, and it's very interesting, particularly if you like any of Stanley Kubrick's films. Uh, and this documentary is about a man named Leon Vitale, who is apparently really well known in the film industry. Uh, and he was essentially the right hand man of Stanley Kubrick, personal assistant, uh, but he became so much more than that. Because he is now the only trusted man to see through with these restorations. So it, a lot of the film – the film, the documentary itself is about Leon Vitale, but you get a, a great sense of just – I don't know the correct word – the levels of dedication or obsession – that Stanley Kubrick put into every single frame of his films. Oh my God. Yeah. The meticulousness of everything in the fact and, and just how he would get, if even the smallest thing was not done correctly. I mean, he drove, uh, what's her name? Shelly Duvall. Um, Shelly Duvall. Freaking insane. <laughs> She's like, that's what he is. He's, he was a madman. He was an asshole to everyone, but that's what he wanted to do to make his films perfect. So much so that it extended to not only putting the film out the way it looked and everything, but I'm talking about like window dressings for advertisements and stuff. He would send people to go make sure things were the way they should be. He was obsessed with the way the film was presented and the experience with which people would view the film. So you flash forward – Stanley Kubrick obviously has been dead uh, for a number of years, but 
2001 a space odyssey was put out on blu-ray in 2007 again it's it, it's i guess it's well known amongst hardcore stanley kubrick fans the ones that really go deep with this stuff that leon vitale is the only one that can do these restorations that can oversee and and give input because he was there he knows what kubrick wanted he he worked so closely this was like a 24 7 thing it was almost it, i mean it was almost like you kind of got the the sense in the documentary that they were kind of i mean he worked for him but they were kind of like family because they spent constantly all the time they were together um so much so that leon uh, claims that like he was with kubrick more than he was with his own family um but they didn't bring leon on to do 2001 a space odyssey when they did the blu-ray transfer in 2007 and fans were outraged but also it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look uh I, I came across an interesting uh, review of the 4K disc that was comparing uh, shots from the 4K disc, the 4K transfer, and the uh, the Blu-ray transfer. And uh, there's there's a big difference, and I'm not just talking in terms of the resolution or the the things being sharper or the clarity or anything like that. I'm talking like color. <laughs> uh, yeah. They that like I don't know what they did, but the Blu-ray was not apparently the way it should have been the colors were off a lot of the, some of the lighting in the scenes just it, it wasn't the way it, it was supposed to be anyway all that to say for this new 4k restoration they brought in leon vitale he oversaw the whole thing and even at, at, at the end of film worker i mean after it goes through this really fascinating story of his, of his life and uh his, and him working alongside kubrick and everything you see you see him, and they talk real briefly about how he's overseeing the 4K remaster of 2001. So, to see all that and to hear Reed have such high praise, and to read the reviews that I've read of the disc, uh, is it's just kind of like bringing justice back to uh, mm-hmm. something that was a grave injustice for a few years. Yeah, and is he doing um, more? Do you know? Do they mention that? Have they said anything about that at all? I would hope so. I haven't heard of anything on the horizon yet. I really but hope so because I need a Barry Lyndon one now. I can't imagine them not. But it's kind of like it's in that weird phase where it's 4K is the like the widely accepted accepted new medium now. Mm-hmm. It's not like the the HD DVD. <laughs> oh god, but, yeah. But like it's still new enough to where you're waiting for these films that you really want to see on 4k and you're not, it's a, a, a real uncertainty, like when they're coming out. Yeah. And it's not like a new release. So, and there's really like, I, I every studio is different, obviously, but some of the things that are coming out in 4k, it's, it's very weird. Like, like unsane, the, yeah, the iPhone movie, iPhone movie, which like, I guess, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> iPhone? Why? Even that I can kind of buy because it's almost like, okay, it's a new release. Well, yeah, that. Into the new format. But things like I, – I, I'm saying this knowing full well that I absolutely bought them. But like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 on 4K, I have them both. <laughs> These are yeah. films that are shot in 16 millimeter. They're yeah. not They're not really made for a visual medium like uh, something with 
something like 4K, a visual medium, of course, as a movie, but like something as in depth and detailed as 4K. There are some so, crazy shots in that movie, in the in the, those movies, though. If I were running a studio, I would like immediately want to find the beautiful films of my history, the ones that you would think. I need to see that in 4K now. Yeah. That's, that's what true. I want to put out. Like those are the big benchmark films. I'm sure the Kubrick films are, are all going to make it to 4K. It's just a matter of time. But I hope they have the involvement of Leon Vitale through all of them because uh, yeah. obviously they need it. Because, yeah, I mean he his they have to be done because, I mean, Kubrick's just too big of a name not to, especially like Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, the, the more – kind of popular ones sure
Okay, welcome back. You were just listening to Eros by Nicholas Bertel off of the If Bill Street Could Talk soundtrack, a movie that I know Reed and I are both waiting patiently to see. Too patiently. I, it said it was coming out on Christmas in Kansas City, and it's not out. Yeah, it's getting a lot of great reviews, a lot of year-end lists. And speaking of year-end lists, before we get into our deep dive here, which was Reed's selection, our next edition of Movie will be our year-end top ten list. We'll be joined by some special guests speaking towards their favorite films of the year, which I'm excited to hear because uh, some of the guests we have lined up are, are unique. They're different from us, which will make for a better show and a more interesting show because uh, I think a lot. Reed and I have a lot. We're going to have a lot of the same films on the list, although we do diverge a little bit. So that'll be interesting too to see your list. But that'll be all coming up on the next edition of movie. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. We are now, I'm going to throw it over to Reed. Uh, Reed chose the Alfred Hitchcock classic rear window, which is a film I just came to for the first time through the steep dive, but it's a close personal favorite of Reed's and uh, he's going to speak towards that. So rear window came out in the year of 1954 directed by, like you said, the one and only great Alfred Hitchcock. Um, so let me talk about how I came to this film, shall we? Um, and why it's so personal to me, why I love it so much. Um, I will, I'll explain why I love it so much as I go through the film. But, um, the, 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 how I came to this film was in, I want to say, was I junior? I think I was a junior. Yeah, I think I was a junior in high school. So this was probably about, uh, 2013, 2014, uh, 2013. I, um... I was a junior high school, and uh, I needed an extra credit for one of my semesters or whatever. Uh, I needed like an activities one, not not like a main course, whatever it was. And uh, when I uh, – one of the classes I could do, which we had in my school, was called History of Film. And, you know, obviously we're doing this podcast right now, so you know I love movies. And when it came to doing this movie – doing this class, I was like, all right, let's do it. So basically the class was you, we'd go through the history of film, popular history of film movies. We just watch movies and then we'd write basically a two page essay or something like that on the film. A lot of people took this and then flunked out of it because they just wanted an easy class and it didn't really matter to them. Uh, but obviously I took it seriously. I, I remember, I think I got like a A plus on it cause I actually wrote and cared, which was probably my fault. But, um, like, we go through films like The Gold Rush, uh, Casablanca, Citizen Kane, and then Rear Window happened. Rear Window was one of those films, and Rear Window, what's funny was, back then, we'd actually watch the behind-the-scenes of the film, um, and the making of, and all that good stuff, so I remember we watched the making of for Rear Window, and for, um, I, I remember just watching it, and the making of kind of spoils the movie which is really annoying uh because you know as someone who likes to not know anything little to nothing about the film going into it i uh i remember watching i was like well i kind of got something spoiled but watching it watching the making of watching the behind the scenes i was like holy shit i need to see this movie right away so i went home I think I watched it through like Amazon or something like that or some rental service and I watched it right away. I didn't even wait to the class. Uh I watched it right away. And I 
fell in love from the first watch. This film is just, to me, to me, this is one of those films that I could watch timelessly. I could watch this every, I could watch it. It's like, you know, you take a, you can take this. If you had to take one movie to, to like, you're like stranded on a beach and there's only like one movie you could watch for the rest of your life, which I don't know why you'd have a TV on a beach <laughs> or, an, or an island. But if you go to an island and you can only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? Rear Window's up there for – if I had to pick, it's up there for choices. Um, I, I fucking love this film so much. Um, it's just – I and when I started watching it this time to for the deep dive, as soon as it started, man, as soon as those credits roll with that music, I was like, oh my god, I'm in it again. This is great. I love this so much. So let me get some trivia. Before we start, uh, before I go into the film, I wanted to – uh, I want to talk about some trivia about this. So, um, a little trivia here. So, the movie was actually shot on one set. This is a indoor set, and uh, the way the way uh, the when to build the set, they actually had to take take apart the basement in the studio. So they so where the actual floor ground is for where the courtyard is and all that stuff is actually like two to three stories down below ground in a basement, which because they had to built this whole thing, whole studio set, which I found very interesting for all the extras that you see when when the movie um, when especially that opening shot where you, you see the neighbors, basically Hitchcock actually had a earpiece in each one of the uh, actors, uh, in each one of the actors, and you would communicate with them what to do, um, which actually f- finds for a really interesting scene um, later, which I'm going to get into. Um, but he he would actually be he was actually in the uh, Jeffrey's apartment and just watching them as they're filming the camera out and telling them, "Hey, do this, do this," and actually leads to some pretty cool improv scenes, as I mentioned. I will get to in a second, and um, yeah, so let's get into this film. That's a couple. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, so I guess for some reason this movie was unavailable for like three decades after it came out. I'm not exactly sure why. I guess because of some rights issues, uh, together with also like some other films in uh, Hitchcock films were also for some reason had some rights issues that for whatever reason nobody can get a hold of nobody could publish them or show them or whatever but it so for after this film was in theaters in 1954 um it was a oh it was this film uh the man who knew too much rope uh the trouble with harry and vertigo were four films that or five films excuse me that for some reason just nobody there was just rights issues or whatever happened. So nobody could watch this film for 30 years. And then I guess, uh, in the eighties, ABC, uh, actually, I guess bought the rights or whatever and published it or showed it on TV. So that, that's pretty interesting to me how, you know, rights and all that stuff worked back then in the fifties. It's very interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's start off with this movie. This is the scene of the crime. A crime of passion, filmed in a way you have never seen before. And as no one else would dare attempt. But the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. (laughs) 
This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts. So lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful. That is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. So, movie starts off. We get a little title sequence showing the window of Jeffrey's apartment with the with the uh, why can't I think of the name of the curtains going up and down with the music that I just huh, mwah, mwah, I love this music so much. Um, and then we get like a little panning shot of all the all the neighbors uh, going around. It goes up to uh, this the the music writer and his. Uh, I guess it's a studio apartment right there uh, to the other neighbors, to uh, to the uh, dancing girl, and to right back to Jeffrey's. Um, and then it pans over to a shot of uh, his uh, girlfriend, which we will get into in a second. So he answers a phone call. It's from his uh, – from his basically his boss, his publisher, and um, he uh, – he, we find out that he is a photographer. Jeffries is a photographer, kind of like Biche, except uh, this is his main line of work. Um, we find he has a cast on his leg. He is stuck in his apartment. We find out um, through a photographer, through a photograph, actually, that he, um, for whatever reason, was in the middle of a, a, a racetrack. Uh, don't know. Don't know why he thought being in the middle of a racetrack was a good idea, but uh, he he got injured in a, in a automobile accident while he was trying to shoot. So he's been in, he's been in uh, his apartment stuck there for I think I think it's about six weeks something like that. He has another week to go, um, and he's basically just watching his neighbors because uh, in 1954 there's no mobile phones, no video games, uh, no TV to watch. 
So he's basically stuck in his apartment, and the only thing he can find to do is to watch his neighbors and see his neighbor's life unfold. I want to go back to that initial opening shot where it's oh, kind of, of panning through the windows and everything. It's such a great shot. Yeah, it's iconic. I've, 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 I before I even ever watched this movie, I knew about that shot, that opening shot, and uh, it's just really such a great. First off, it's great technically the the movement of it all but it tells you almost everything you need to know all in yeah. one shot while giving you a great sense of the geography of where everything's placed you know exactly where everything's at how like what's relative to what in this and cuz you're i mean you're in this you're basically in his apartment with him for the vast majority of the entire film, save for the climax or like the the very end. Like ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of the film. Yeah, you're in you're right in the apartment with him. It's so all, it's all in the apartment, shooting in towards him and then shooting out. None of none of the stationary shots, none of the shots leave until that very end climax. Yeah. Yeah. So Crazy. looking out from his window, you now just because of that first shot, you know where each neighbor is positioned and you know where to look and you just get it gives you a great sense of the geography of everything that's going to happen yeah and and then it also the way the film ends is the same thing uh but we'll get into that in a second so then we meet he goes on the phone call and he has another week um and then we meet stella stella is uh basically from the insurance company that he has basically comes out and takes care of him every day, make sure he's uh, his vitals are good, all the good stuff. I love Stella. I I put that in my notes. I love Stella's banter. Banter. Stella is fantastic. Stella Her, is hilarious, and she is a woman that I would get along with well in <laughs> real life. Yeah, she's great. Stella is her her the writing for her and the way she performs it is just fantastic. She has so many great one-liners, so much just great banter back and forth with Jeffries, which uh, is performed by the one and only James Stewart, who I love. James Stewart. James Stewart is awesome in everything. Uh, he he's in so many iconic movies, man. He's uh, he's great, but um, but this is obviously my favorite performance from him. And um, basically, uh, she. Uh, basically comes in and she, she sees uh, him looking at his neighbors. Says trouble is basically gonna occur. Um, at one point, Jeffries mentions uh, his uh, oh, his uh, girlfriend, who is Lisa, performed by the one and only Grace Kelly, uh, who is also great. But we'll talk about her in a second when she shows up. Um, talks about how she's she's basically too perfect for her. Uh, she's she's too perfect. All that good stuff and and still is like you're you're crazy. What do you? What are you doing? Are you kidding me? She's too perfect. So why 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 aren't you with her? Why don't you want to be with her? Why don't you want to marry her? Um, Did you have a fight? No. Father loading up the shotgun? What? Please, darling. It's happened before, you know. Some of the world's happiest marriages have uh, started under the gun, as you might say. No, she's just not the girl for me. Yeah, she's only perfect. She's too perfect. She's too talented. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's too everything but what I want. Is um, what you want something you can discuss? What? Well, it's very simple, Stella. She belongs to that rarefied atmosphere of Park Avenue, you know, expensive restaurants and then the literary cocktail parties. People with sense belong wherever they're put. Can you imagine her tramping around the world with a camera bum who never has more than a week's salary in the bank if, if she was only ordinary? 
You're never going to get married? Well, I'll probably get married. Well, I do, it's going to be to someone who thinks of life not just, just as a new dress and a lobster dinner and the latest scandal. I need a woman who's willing to hold it, who's willing to go anywhere and do anything and love it. So the honest thing for me to do is just call the whole thing off, let her find somebody else. Yeah, I can hear you now. Get out of my life, you perfectly wonderful woman. You're too good for me. And this oh, plays a... this plays exactly this conversation plays exactly into my interpretation of the greater hidden meaning behind this film, which I'll wait until the end to say. Sure. But uh this this conversation caught my eye or caught my ear, I guess I should say. Uh immediately. Uh, you, 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 of course, you have the witty banter and everything, which is a staple of this entire film, which is my favorite thing in the entire film. I thought the dialogue was yeah, the amazing. Dialogue uh, just so witty and sharp. Like every, I wish people were like us in real life. Uh, just so sharp-witted and like uh, sarcastic and hilarious. But uh, this conversation in particular where she's basically – saying you know like you're an idiot and he's just saying she's too perfect for me and he basically he's to me it, it felt like he's just uh you know making excuses as to why he shouldn't commit and uh and she's basically calling him out on it which is why mm. i love stella and she's just like you're basically you're being an idiot and uh you're being an idiot you're being stubborn you don't want yeah. to commit all the good stuff i want to mention about this film is that they're just uh uh no actual written a score for the movie. Um, the only music that you hear from the movie is from the studio apartment where the guy is playing the music. Um, but that, which is technically a score in and of itself, but that is it. There's no actual score for the movie. It's all in, it's all in the world per se that you were watching. Um, but, uh, yeah. So then, uh, we get introduced in the next scene to Grace Kelly or Lisa Fremont. Uh, I love Grace Kelly. She's awesome. She died way too soon, man. She died in a, I believe she died in a car accident. Uh, how old yeah. She was... She's only 50-something. Yeah. I, I looked up like every actor and actress in this yeah. film to see if anyone was still alive. Yeah, unfortunately not. Probably. Because I'm kind of in love with Miss Torso a little bit, even though she's gone now. <laughs> I know, Miss Torso. But um, but yeah, Grace Kelly is just gorgeous. She's fantastic. Um, she she comes over, um, in kind of the same conversation is happening with her. Every time she tries to do so many great things for her, she brings uh, twenty one, which is like this fancy restaurant. She tries to bring that home. She makes like this really fancy dinner for for Mister Jeffries and uh, and uh, and Jeffries like yeah, it's wonderful sarcastically and she's everything it seems like she's trying to do jeffrey's just just like kind of puts her down a little bit she's Um, very um what's the word they use uh it's very like all about she's i I guess it's not the right word to say but you you could write her off as vain sort of she's very much about appearances and into that sort of thing like fashion every time she walks in she's very fashionably dressed and like over the top and uh, he's almost even when he was talking to stella he almost tries to use that as a like an excuse as to why why they're too dissimilar why they're not really why it's not going to work 
and yeah, that's what happens in the conversation here. She tries to, ex- I love it. She keeps on going off and going off. Why can't we be together? Why? What? What makes us so different between the two of us? And then every time she's like, "I will talk if you just shut up for a minute." And then, <laughs> and then she's like, "Well, if you're gonna be so rude, then I don't want to hear hear what you have to say." I'm not hiding anything. It's just that it I doesn't want- make sense. What's so different about it here from over there or any place you go that one person couldn't live in both places just as easily? Some people can, if you just let me what explain What is it for traveling you? from one place to another taking pictures? This is like being a tourist on an endless vacation. Okay, now that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. Now let me give you my It's side. ridiculous to say that it can only be done by a special private little group of anointed people. I made a simple statement, a, a, a true statement, but I'll, I can back it up if you just shut up for a minute. But if your opinion is as rude as your manner, I don't think I care to hear it. Oh, come on, now simmer down. You, I can't fit in he, here, you can't fit in there. I mean, according to you, people should be born, live and die on the same spot. Shut up! Did you ever eat fish heads and rice? Of course not. Well, if you, you might have to if you went with me. Did you ever try to keep warm on a C-54 at 15,000 feet, 20 degrees below zero? Oh, I do it all the time. Whenever I have a few minutes after yeah, lunch. Did you ever get shot at? Did you ever get run over? Did you ever get sandbagged at night because somebody got unfavorable publicity from your camera? Did you ever have th- those high heels? They'll be great in the jungle and the nylons and those six-ounce laundry. Three. All right, three. Well, they'll make a big hit in Finland just before you freeze to death. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's how to wear the proper clothes. Yeah, yeah. Well, try and find a raincoat in Brazil, even when it isn't raining. Lisa... In this job, you carry one suitcase. Your home is the available transportation. You don't sleep very much. You bathe less. And sometimes the food that you eat is made from things that you couldn't even look at when they're alive. Jeff, you don't have to be deliberately repulsive just to impress me I'm wrong. Deliberately repulsive? I'm just trying to make it sound good. You just have to face it, Lisa. You're not meant for that kind of a life. Few people are. You're too stubborn to argue with. I'm not stubborn. I'm just truthful. It's kind of the same thing. Whereas, you know, Mr. Jeffrey Jeffries talks about how he has to like go to Vietnam and go go uh, and like have to basically travel in one bag. And basically, his lifestyle of a photographer, of this rugged photographer, she can't handle. And she thinks she can. He thinks he can't. It's kind of this endless cycle here. During the, this whole thing, kind of afterwards, uh, we get introduced to uh, the neighbor below uh, across the street to Miss Lonely Hearts, which plays into later. But she's basically a, uh, a woman that um, unfortunately is single and can't seem and fantasizes about having a, a man in, her, in uh, her life. And she basically acts out this scene of her basically having dinner with nobody and um, – even at one point, uh, there's one point where she's about to take a, a about to toast with some wine, and J- Jeffrey's and both of them toast at the same time. I thought that was that plays in later to uh, what happens with her, but she is unfortunately pretty lonely, just like me. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> he also checks apart checks to the apartment above her, which we learn uh, is Miss uh, Miss and Mister Thorwald, which is. Leads into a big, big part of uh, the whole story here in a second. But he checks the apartment right afterwards, right above her, and they're, they seem to be fighting. Um, Mr. Thorwell goes on the phone, and then you hear you hear very briefly of a 
you're going to call her or something like that. And which kind of indicates that he's cheating or something's going on there and they're fighting. And it does not seem that their marriage is too, too on the up and up. Unfortunately, we also get the Hitchcock cameo. Uh, Hitchcock, uh, I believe he's in every single one of his films as an actor real briefly. I, I believe so. Yeah. It's something like that. Um, he's in it for a second. It's, He's uh in the uh studio right in the uh oh, I can't speak the music writer's uh, part, studio apartment and he seems to be I think he's like the butler's something like that he's supposed or someone he's there for just a second it's real briefly that seems to be all of Hitchcock's cameos just two seconds he's in and out I don't even think he he doesn't have a word or dialogue here I don't think he has one in any of his films but it's always cool to see every time I get to his part I just I, I get to see Hitchcock. Um, and, uh, yeah. So the the fight pretty much uh, continues, as I mentioned. And then uh, I love this line. As it, it seems, Lisa's like, so you won't change, I won't change. I guess we just can't be or whatever. And she, she seems to leave and she goes, and he goes, so it looks like it's over or something like that. And then... <laughs> And then probably one of my favorite lines is uh, Je- uh, Lisa says, I-, I won't see you. And Jeffrey says, when? When will I see you next? She goes, not for a while. Not until tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love that so much. It's so great. Um, so um, another one of my favorite things that happens here. We get to uh, – it's cuts to the middle of the night. Jeffrey doesn't seem to like to sleep on a bed. He's still looking outside. It's raining. Um he he's just looking. The camera seems to be panning along with his eyes throughout the apartment, and then you hear this loud noise. It sounds like a woman this woman yells, and then like a loud crash. And then the what I love about it as soon as that happens, the camera stop, just like Jeffrey's head does. It cuts back to Jeffrey's. He looks around, thinks, "Huh, that's a bit weird." And then face to black. We come back. Um, <clears throat> We come back uh, to where it's uh, – th- this was actually one of the improv scenes. Uh, so um, when uh, – there's a certain point where uh, these two – there's this couple that right above the Thorwalds that they seem to – they like to sleep on the outside. They like to sleep on the balcony and uh, it starts raining and uh, as it starts raining, uh, uh, they get up. They wake up, of course, and they actually fight. And they try to try to they don't fight, but they try to pull their mattress back out into inside their apartment, and the guy actually falls over inside the window. Well, actually, supposedly that was actually all improv. As as I said earlier, the earpieces, uh, Hitchcock was actually telling the lady, uh, the 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 wife there, to pull w- one direction, and he told the husband to pull another direction, so that they would have like this <laughs> fight going on. And then, of course, that whole thing was actually improv. He falls in. That obviously wasn't that wasn't planned. So that was a cool little thing. Um, but yeah, so like I mentioned, it fades to black. It starts raining. Uh, that whole scene happens, and then he sees Thorwald, who was the person that uh, got into the fight with his wife. Sees him leave in the middle of the night with his suitcase. Um, from what we know, I believe he's a salesman, so it's his uh, salesman suitcase. Um, he he seems to go out in the middle of the night, um, and then he comes back 
leaves again, and then he comes back. This is all happening in uh, 3 a.m. at night. So kind of suspicious activity, leaving 3 a.m. in the morning with your briefcase. I have a uh, fun fact for you. Sure, go ahead. So Hitchcock modeled Thorwald off of a real-life producer that he hated. Oh. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that, I, th- I think that's hilarious, yeah. He modeled after a producer that he hated. David Selznick was the guy's name, and uh, he's apparently a producer that meddled too much with uh, Hitchcock's movies. So much so that Hitchcock uh, disowned his first film. So I guess this is a bit wow. of a uh, little, little bit of revenge by Alfred Hitchcock. Sure, why not? Well, he, the person that plays Thorwald does a great job. So thankfully they got a good actor for that. But um, yeah, so then he leaves and comes back, and then uh, around three a.m. and then uh, Jeffries falls asleep uh, at a certain, and then we see Thorwald and what looks like to be his wife or someone else leave the apartment. At around 3 a.m., and uh, Jeffrey is asleep, so he cannot see them leave. He has his suspicions go up. Um, the next day happens. He looks through. He uh, he starts looking at Thorwald, sees that he's moving some stuff, so he finds his binoculars. <clears throat> and he looks through the apartment, um, and he sees that Jeffrey's has, uh, I believe it was a saw... And then something else. I believe it was a saw and a rope, I believe. Um, but he had saw in a he had a saw in a newspaper newspaper wrapping. And it seemed like he was packing, um, which is just really suspicious activity to say. It seems like something's up going on in the Thorwald's house. Um, and uh, yeah, so he seems he. Uh, let's see here. So then he. Afterwards, uh, later that night, Lisa comes over and he tries to explain the whole situation that Thorwald leaves at 3 a.m. in the morning, comes back. See, Jeffrey, Lisa's not focused on it one little bit, coming up with excuses after excuses, saying all this stuff. And then one of my one of my lines, favorite lines, is goes Jeffrey's goes that's a terrifying that's a terrifying thought. Just how would you start to cut up a human body? And Lisa just looks at him and goes, I. He goes, Jeff, I'm starting to worry about you. Like, he's just realized that Jeff's either losing his mind or really believes that somebody is obvious that uh, Thorwald actually killed his wife. <clears throat> so, um, the, this, I gotta set up this a little bit. This is another funny line. They start to get in, like, this little scrimmage here. And early on in the movie, uh, to their very left, there's a, a new married couple that, uh, move in. And you see them come in, you, you see them all romantic. They're in the honeymoon stages of getting married. They're constantly doing the diggity. They're just they're going they're going to town every single day. Uh, at certain points, the uh, the husband comes out to have a smoke at the window, and then you just hear and then you just hear Jeff, and then he comes back <laughs> and closes closes the window. And then uh, as they're kind of having the scrimmage, saying like, "No, nothing." At least it's basically saying like, "Nothing's happening over there. The murder's not happening." You know, for all you know, something go something something very sinister be going on, going on behind those windows. And then he looks over to that window where that window is closed down and he goes oh yeah you have no idea <laughs> I, I love it it's so great uh he goes oh sorry he goes oh no comment <laughs> I, I i think that's great that's one of my favorite one of my favorite lines in that like you said the writing in this film is just it's fantastic it's probably the best part of it um 
uh, and then um, so yeah, they have this whole thing, and then uh, he asks, "What what what's he doing at this moment?" And then they look over, and one of my favorite shots. They cut to it a couple times, but I'm going to mention it here. It's the first time they show it. It's at night, and they cut to Thorwald. It's like this wide shot of Thorwald's apartment. Now, the apartment, for people who haven't seen the movie, is basically about three to four windows long. There's like the big bedroom, the little living room, and then the kitchen, um, and then the front door. Um, and you just see him. It's at night. You just see him light up his cigarette and start smoking it, and then you see the smoke come off. It's just such a simple but such a beautiful shot that you just have to see. I love the shot so much. They show it, and then they come cut back to it a couple more times, obviously in different settings uh, for later in the film, but I love the shot. It's so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it's one of my favorite in cinematic history and it's just so simple and it's just so great um and uh yeah so what's he decide so Thorwald or sorry Thorwald Jeffrey decides to do was he calls his detective buddy that I believe he was in the war I believe they mentioned he was in the war with um he's now a detective um he uh his detective buddy decides to come over um and he basically explains everything that he tries to do and then detective as a normal detective would or any really normal sane person would that would that hasn't seen this or seen this situation go down or have these suspicions would be given rational reasons about it why would he leave at 2 a.m in the morning probably to get some stuff why is the 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 wife disappeared all of a sudden well they went on a trip to whatever you know she went on a trip this visitor family lots of rational explanation reasons that just kind of makes sense if you're a normal person um what doesn't make sense though as a normal person is the fact that he never locks his door and no one ever knocks before they walk in (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i mean so i i i understand i i can i can almost buy okay i this is the one glaring thing that came up like when i was watching but then i was like okay 1950s crime wasn't as rampant um people were a lot generally more trusting so i i've heard of like older generations where they say you know back in my day we didn't have to lock our doors so i can buy that i can buy stella walking in and out because she's like a, a nurse or an aide or you know something she's actively like there to help him in through his recovery and I could buy his girlfriend walking in and out because, well, it's his girlfriend. The one I could not buy is this detective just randomly walking into his house without knocking. <laughs> and he does it a number of Listen. times through this movie. I can't defend that one. But, man, what can I say? It's 50s. I don't know. People just – they just let people in. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? But, yeah, anyways, uh, the detective actually goes and finds some information. He comes back later. And says that he finds out that the wife left at about 6 a.m., which is when Jeffrey fell asleep. Um, and he's taking a train ac- across uh, country. And Jeffrey still doesn't really believe that. He's thinking that, like, there's no way that – because she was just suppo- – another thing I forgot to mention, she was also bedridden. She was also sick. Nobody that's really that sick uh, goes on a train across the country to, uh, you know, goes across the country to visit family or whatever they have. 
Um, but uh, they even have a postcard from the wife that says that she's okay. So all that good stuff. We then cut to a shot of um, of uh, the dog. She starts uh, sniffing around the flowers. Uh, Mr. Thorwell kind of comes down and then gives him a little pat like, get on out of here. Which kind of leads into something a little bit later. Um, so we go to Miss Miss Lonely Heart, Miss Lonely Hearts. I spelled it Me Lonely Hearts. That's I can't spell. But Miss Lonely Hearts. Uh, he goes goes to a restaurant. Uh, we we uh, it, it, but it goes to one of my favorite fucking shots. Um, yeah, we go cut to Miss Lonely Hearts. It's, you see her uh, start from. Base also there. You see her start to go into like this restaurant that's right across the street, and then as she sits right, right next to the window, uh, as soon as right to the door, as soon as she walks in, you see her talking, and then all of a sudden walks into frame, Mister Thorwald. It's such a simple, but such it's not simple because it takes a lot of acquire. It takes a lot of coordination to pull that off and to do that at the right time. But man, oh man. Do I love this shot? It's fucking fantastic. I love it. It's such a great shot. And it's so... Oh, I love it. Anyways. Uh, Mr. Thorwald, you find out that she, he has a pieces of, a, of his wife's jewelry. Um, and he has, a, I believe, a handbag of his wife's jewelry that he's he's picking out of that he's looking at. And uh, Lisa kind of comes up with this explanation that women in the 50s seem to... They, they'll never leave without their handbag and they'll never leave without jewelry. That's something that uh, that I guess women in the fifties seem to to love over everything, um, and uh, so he's she's she's trying to she's trying to understand she's trying to show this to Jeffries. Uh, the detective comes back, Mister Doyle. I forgot. I guess I didn't say his name earlier, but Mister Doyle is his name. Mister Doyle uh, shows back up, um, over almost uh, overwhelmed by Lisa. Uh, as you said, said earlier, he just kind of walks in, of course. As he walks in, he's just overwhelmed by Lisa. Like, Lisa's just like this it's this figure. That, and then uh, it was actually this kind of one funny point where he's like, "How?" where Jeffrey goes, how's your wife? And he goes, oh, 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 fine. Um, uh, and then um, I love I love this line. It just shows the, the cockiness of Lisa. Lisa seems, at this point, she seems to, she seems to find Everything that Jeffries has been saying, she seems to be on her side because nothing seems to be making sense with the jewelry and all that stuff. So he he just go she just goes right to right to Miss, Miss it's just a the cocky one liners that that this film has. She just goes right up to him and says, "We think Thorwald's guilty." <laughs> just with the cockiness, with the swagger, I love it. It's great. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Thorwald gives some information. Or Thorwald Doyle gives some information about it and then uh he answers the phone and uh that they actually had a truck or a truck excuse me a trunk um that uh supposedly had all her belongings in it and it was actually picked up in uh, i believe it was in maryland by uh mr thorwald or sorry miss thorwald um 
And then uh, he even like goes off about feminists. <laughs> it makes fun of women in the fifties. Uh, he, I think he, I think the exact quote. I didn't have it written down, but the one of the exact it was not an exact quote. But the last time he took something about taking a woman's advice or something like that, and I was like, wow, that is not gonna fly if that came out. Uh, just kind of shows the time period there, but which I thought was a little interesting there. But um, yeah, so she basically he basically gives every information in the saying like. Miss Thorwald's fine. Everything seems to be adding up. She did get on a on a on a train. Um, two people in the uh, in their building saw Miss Thorwald leave at around six a.m. Um, she picked up the trunk. She sent a postcard. Everything about it seems that Miss Thorwald is alive, um, which uh, which would be a good thing for every other person. But uh, even Lisa says, like, how could we? How could we be so sad that Miss Thorwald's actually alive? Like they were just so almost like hell bent on the fact that Miss Thorwald is dead. Um, so uh, yeah, so um, we also uh, get this shot of uh, Miss Lonely Hearts. She comes back from the restaurant. I want to mention this. She comes back to a restaurant, and it seems like a she comes back with a man. Uh, the man advance advances on her pretty aggressively. Um, and, uh, she ain't having none of that. So she slaps him, kicks him out, starts crying. And then the, like I mentioned with the music, another fucking brilliance moment here with the music, there's a music here that, that, um, like I mentioned earlier, the music is all in the movie. It's not a, a score that was made for the movie. It's all from the person in the movie's universe. The mu- the music is from the studio writer's or from the music, the studio writers, the music writer studio apartment of him playing music, and uh, the, the when she slams the door and kicks her, kicks him out of the apartment, the music actually uh, stops. It's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty awesome. I love the way how that whole thing is set up. The music is playing, music is playing, and they're having this altercation. She's slapping him, and as soon as she slams the door, it's right on cue. The music stops. I I love little things like that, and mm, mm, I, I love it. Um, so uh, yeah, that happens. She she starts crying, and then we cut to them. Uh, Lisa Thorwald uh, is, uh, or Lisa Thorwald, Lisa Fremont. Uh, she uh, they seem to they they're talking, and then all of a sudden uh, they actually roll down their windows um, so that so that they could have some alone time. Uh, so Lisa wouldn't have to worry about her anymore. And then all of a sudden we hear a loud scream. And uh, I forgot – I guess I mentioned it earlier about the dog. But there's this actually really cute thing where the dog uh, – the person from the third apartment uh, has a dog. And they actually lowered the dog in a basket <laughs> all the way down, which I thought was really cute. It's like, oh, that's that's funny. I was wondering how they trained the dog to do that. I know. That's that's really incredible. That's like, wow, you, you guys should go into some dog show or something. But, yeah, uh, that's like throughout the movie. And I mentioned earlier that she was sniffing – that the dog was sniffing around the flowers. Um, but that's one of the dogs in the apartment. And hear this loud scream from the person in the third third floor that I mentioned had the little um, tug with a with a bed. You hear a scream, and then everyone everyone comes out, and uh, you see that the, somebody killed the dog. Uh, supposedly, they said that it was strangled. Um, she goes on this long rant about how can neighbors do this? It, neighbors supposed to love each other, care for each other. How could you hurt such a small animal? Um, and as this kind of whole thing subsides, uh, 
Lisa and Jane and uh, Jeffries realized that the only, only every single neighbor came out. The only neighbor that didn't come out was Mr. Thorwald, and it cuts back to that same shot with the cigarette going up, with the smoke coming out. Ah, oh, I love this so much. Um, but yeah, Mr. Thorwald was the only one that's come out. Um, so then late, so uh, they start to realize, you know, what, I we I think Mr. Jeff like all those things planned out, but I think. I think Mr. Thorwald still did something. Still, he, he, at this point, more than likely, probably killed the dog. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, then, um, Stella comes over. They, they try to come up with, with, uh, solutions. They try to figure it all out. And then, uh, she, and then Jeffrey says this kind of idea is goes, hold on for a second. Give me, give me this thing. And I, I don't know, what, what would you call it? Um, the thing that he used to see that the, the flowers were shorter. What what is that called? Um, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, it's um, it's a a thing they used uh to view slide film back in the day. Yeah. He, he had two different pictures, and um, you just hold it up to the light <clears throat> and hold it to your eye. It's kind of like a viewfinder type deal, and uh, you could see the 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 differences in the flowers. Yeah, yeah. So so he, I guess he took two pictures. Uh, between the span of two different weeks, one of them showed uh, before before Thor- Miss Thorold left or disappeared. Uh, one of them showed that the flowers were at normal height, and then the one that happened two weeks later showed that the flowers were significantly lower. Um, and so they realized, oh my god, there's something underneath those flowers. Um, so what they decided to do was uh, they decided to do a little distraction for Mr. Thorwald to get him out of the apartment, uh, out of his house, so that he wouldn't see anyone digging up his flowers. <laughs> um, so what they decided to do was uh, Lisa decides to go over to the uh, to the apartment, decides to, to slide a little little note that says, what have you done with her, uh, question mark. And uh, underneath the door, she slides it under. You kind of just like the brilliance of having everything from one angle. You see Mr. Thorwald Seer put put the uh, put the put the note underneath. He reacts to it, and then he even tries to find her. And it's a little nice little escape route where she tries to go down, and uh, she kind of goes around, goes down, and just escapes. It, it, it's really cool. You got to see it. Um, so, but Thorwald obviously looks when he looks at the note, he looks concerned. Like who who could have done this? Somebody's obviously on her tail, on his tail. Lisa comes when Lisa comes back. She comes back thrilled. Like what was the look on her? What was the look on his face? And then Jeffries just gives her him a look, like her or gives gives her a look, like wow, this might be the girl I actually like. It was it was a really it was that, at that point you kind of see the turn the heads kind of turning like wow that she's more she might be more than what I originally thought she was. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it was a really cool moment there. I really love that. Um, but yeah, Lisa's coming back thrilled. Uh, they realize that this might not be enough. So what they do is they call, they call uh, Thorwald and says, and say, Hey, meet me. I like what I know what you've done with her, Thorwald. Meet, meet me at this hotel lobby. Um, she, he says that I don't have any, he goes, I only have a hundred bucks. And he goes, well, that's a start. Uh, so they, so he leaves, he goes to whatever hotel is supposed to be and they start digging up the flowers. Uh, Lisa and Stella, um, Lisa and Stella start digging up the flowers and they don't find anything. There's nothing underneath the flowers. Um, so what they just, so what, uh, 
what uh, Lisa decides to do is decides is decides to uh, jump up uh, the the fire escape and sneak into Mister Thorwald's apartment, which obviously is a smart idea. Uh, so Stella goes back and she goes in the apartment and um, to try to find some evidence. Uh, and when Stella comes back, there's actually as she finds him. Uh, she finds, I believe, she finds, uh, she finds the handbag of jewelry, uh, a certain, a certain. Uh, I think she she finds the wedding ring. She finds Miss Thorold's wedding ring, and then Mrs. Lonely. But as this is kind of going on, Miss Lonely Hearts uh, is uh, Miss Lonely Hearts is uh, seems like she's uh, she lays out a bunch of pills, and she looks like she's about to commit suicide, which is uh, really brings us. Uh, just like an extra layer of suspense of this whole thing that's going on right now. Um, and uh, Stella's like, oh, call the police. But then she hears the studio, the, the, the music writer's music from the studio apartment and kind of just, just kind of goes head over heels. And it's just like, just, it takes her. She, she seems to be fine. But while as this is going on, Mr. Thorwald comes back. You see him come back. And you go, oh, shit, no, no, no. And same thing with Mr. Jeffries. So Mr. Jeffries calls, at that point, calls 911, says that uh, uh, there's an abuse going on. <clears throat> um, uh, she Thorwald comes comes into the apartment, sees Lisa there, asks what he's going on, and he just starts, he starts wailing on her. He starts beating her, uh, trying to figure out what's going on here. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, uh, the police show up. Police show up. Police come into the apartment, and uh, hold on one second. Got to fix my notes. Got to edit that out. Um, yeah, police come in, and uh, they try to figure out what's going on. Uh, Lisa doesn't seem seems to be playing the robber card, uh, saying that she was robbing. She uh, as basically that's what she was. I mean, she broke into the house. she trying to do? Why don't she turn him in? She's a smart girl. Smart girl? She'll get herself arrested. It'll get her out of there, won't it? Look, the wedding ring. Turn off the light, he's seen him. How long do you think he'll stay there? 
Well, unless he's dumber than I think he is, he won't wait until his lease is up. Get my billfold out of the drawer on the table there. What do you need money for? Oh, I'm going to bail these out of jail. You know, you could leave it here till next Tuesday. Then you could sneak safely away as planned. As as she's talking to police, she actually has her hands behind her back, and and Jeffries is looking through his binoculars. And to one of the best shots in cinematic history, I love this shot so much. Have I said there's a lot of shots I love? Yeah, I love this one um, as well. Um, she puts her hands behind her back and points to her finger, and she has on Mrs. Thorwald's wedding, wedding ring. And as she's looking at it, she's look she's she's looking back back. Back towards Mr. Jeffries so that Mr. Jeffries can see. So as she's pointing to the wedding ring, she's pointing to that. Mr. Thorwald sees her. She looks down at the wedding ring. Then the camera pans from her her hand to Mr. Thorwald. And then she, Mr. Thorwald's looking down. And then he just looks up and just gives the face that goes, what the fuck? And, and as – because the whole movie, you're the audience. You're looking towards – you're looking towards everyone else. You're not expecting. It's kind of it, like even earlier in the movie, like like uh, uh, I think Mr. I think it was Mr. Jeffries that said it. That, that said, any one of these people can be looking at me and seeing what I'm doing. That's the moment that happens. That you that finally somebody looks in at the person observing, and you just and you just go, oh fuck, I've been caught. I've been caught. He knows everything. No, no, no. He tells Stella to kill the lights so that he's seen us. She kills the lights. It's just, oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. Then then they just cut. Uh, the, the police take uh, Lisa away. Um, he uh, They try to get some bail money for Lisa. And as they're trying to get bail money, you just see Mr. Thorwald turn off his lights for his apartment and he just leaves his apartment and he's going over to Mr. Jeffrey's house. They try to get some money to get, to get uh, Lisa out. And then, uh, and then, uh, Stella leaves. He calls, uh, Doyle and says, Hey, uh, tries to tell, uh, I believe it was, uh, he talks to, uh, his, uh, the nanny. Uh, yeah, it says the nanny. He tries to talk to him and says that something really important is happening and all this, Everything that basically just transpired. As 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 this is happening, uh, he then gets a a phone call and he says, "Doyle, Doyle, I, I uh, Thorwald's at it again. Uh, we found the, her wedding ring, wedding ring, and then you just hear nothing on the other end. So it's obviously Mister Thorwald, and he goes, "Oh God, shit!" So he puts the phone down, and as this is happening, he goes he goes and gets his camera. And he gets some bulbs. Um, he tries to find just basically anything that he can. He he knows he's screwed. He's just he he's he's defective. He has a he has a bad leg. He can't he can't fight for himself. But as this is happening, you hear the footsteps get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder until eventually it gets to his door. And it just that Hitchcock has such a great way with tension and. And just building suspense and tension. He he's one of he, he's one of the best of ever doing it. And that moment where you just hear the footsteps go down and down the hall, and you just get it hear it come louder and louder and louder till it eventually gets to the door. Oh, it's so good. It's just so fucking good. Um, and then Mr. Thorold opens the door, and he comes in. And the way the way that this is shot, 
uh, I just I love it so much. It's it's all in the dark, and when even it cuts to a close up of his face, you just see his eye. You it's uh, the lighting from the outside. It's supposed I guess it's supposed to be the moon or outside lights. It just covers his. It's only lighting up his eyes. It's just and like barely of his face. It's just oh, it's so good. Um, so Mr. Thorwald, Thorwald's like like uh, like uh, I uh, I need that ring back. Um, she could have turned me in. Why didn't she turn me in? And asking all asking uh, these questions, and Mister Jeffries just doesn't answer. Um, and then, um, and then you go, and then uh, he uh, decides to basically attack Mister Jeffries. Mister Jeffries starts. He starts walking towards Mister Jeffries at a at a brisk, slow pace. Uh, not take. Not trying to rush. And then. Uh, Mr. Jeffries, as I mentioned, he got his camera in his bulb and he's just flashing at him, trying to just slow him down at the little bit that he possibly can. This and, was uh, <laughs> kind of hokey to me. Yeah, I, I the, think that it, was not so of... much. I, 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 I guess it's a solid plan, um, but it was in execution. Granted, I'm watching this with 2019 eyes, but. Like he he fly he flashes the the bulb, and the guy kind of stutters back, and and Hitchcock does this like orange frame kind well, of that's fade not, back. That's not on purpose. That's from the film. From what uh, I remember watching the behind the scenes, that's from the film. Like when he when when they shot that for whatever with the cameras for whatever reason, it just made that effect. Okay. Whatever is not on not intentional. No. Well, that that's not even my biggest thing. The the thing that got me was like so there was like three flash bulbs I think before he reaches them. I think so. And like the performance is the exact same. Like he does the same stop, like shake his head. It's almost like. But that's what I found. I don't know. That's what I find so charming about it. I don't know. It's just. I definitely agree with you though. It is a bit. This is a bit a little, a little bit hokey. I didn't I dislike it. It was it was just kind of eh, funny, cheesy sort of. <laughs> Yeah, that part was a bit cheesy, but everything before that was just ugh. But there are parts so in this good. movie where I think Hitchcock is actively like kind of winking at you a little bit. In uh, in what way? Humorous way. Sure. Yeah. It's not all like uh, he kind of subverts the the tension a lot. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. But he's so good at at building the tension. I just uh so great. Um, but anyways. He, after three times that he does the, the little thing that it is a bit hokey, and even this time I, I will admit. But I mean, uh, as soon as he he even even his lunge kind of looks a little bit hokey. But I mean, you know, uh, looking through twenty nineteen eyes, you can see him that way. Of course, I I completely agree. But anyways, um, we cut to uh, he he starts attacking uh, att- attacking us uh, Jeffries. But right before he attacks, he sees he sees Doyle. And Lisa across across the way at uh, Thorwald's apartment, and uh, he sees them all all coming to Thorwald's apartment, and he starts he, he yells Lisa Doyle, and they all look up and they see him starting to get attacked, and uh, he's he, they have like a little bit of a struggle for a bit, um, and then uh, everyone seems to rush out uh, outside and uh, to either the balcony or. Or it's not the balcony, uh, the courtyard below, and then um, <clears throat> uh, he gets uh, Jeffries outside, holding on to the ledge, and um, 
as uh, as he's holding on to the ledge, trying to fight his way, trying to find his way back up. Uh, it seems like the only way he's holding up is holding on to Thorwald. Thorwald gets gets uh, gets taken away by police, and uh, Jeffries just falls straight down to the concrete, um, and basically messes up his uh, other leg, um, which isn't implied until the next shot. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so then um, <clears throat> everyone comes up. Everyone comes up, and Doyle apologizes. Says, "I should have gotten here sooner." He goes, "It's fine." Um, and then uh, he, uh, uh, the cop, the cop, I guess, talks to uh, Thorwald and says that he's ready. Thorwald's get, uh, ready to give us a, a tour of the east. What was it? The uh, east, east tour of the East River. Um, and uh, he, it was originally. He said that uh, the body was originally in the flowers, but the dog got. Got a little too, uh, a little too, uh, a little too close. Was uh, was tripping around a little bit, a bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we uh, we cut to the next scene of um, of uh, it. Basically, is the same panning shot of uh, the first shot, and it, it's basically the same panning shot. Except uh, now you get to see how everyone's like now. Uh, the songwriter is now seems to form a bond with Miss Lonely Hearts. Um, Everyone else is pretty much the same. And then you cut back. Uh, Miss Mr. Jeffries has uh, two casts on now instead of one, so it looks like he'll be uh, watching his neighbors a little bit longer. And uh, now uh, Lisa is with her or w- with him, um, so it looks like they are together and uh, they are happily, hopefully, in love. Uh, and they seem to be living together. And that's it. That's how the movie ends. Um, Beach, I'll let you go. With your overall thoughts on uh, Rear Window, so, I was having fun listening to you there. I don't think you took more than three breaths through that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so yeah, I, I stumbled over my words. So, <laughs> so uh, I was waiting for you to pass out. Actually, <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I always find it hard to come into the, these older movies for the first time, having you know not grown up with them or anything. So it's sure, it's kind of like yeah. one of those things where your appreciation has to grow over time with them. And unfortunately, I'm not one who's seen like a ton of movies this old. Although I'm certainly interested in certainly wanting to learn more about them. Uh but sometimes it's hard to differentiate like watching a film like this from your mentality, your current day mentality. Yeah. But uh Hitchcock's a good place to start. As good a place as any, really. Yeah. Uh really. The suspense. There were moments of suspense in this that really got me. Overall, I don't. I don't think the whole thing was suspenseful, but I don't think the intention was for the entire no. thing to be like just fraught with tension constantly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There it's, was a lot of humor in it. There's no psycho. No. And uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like I said earlier, my my favorite thing was the dialogue, just the the cutting, witty. Just everyone was just so funny and witty, like. Stuff that <laughs> did did people talk like this back then? Because if so, I wish I lived back then. Cause... No, exactly. That's why I love watching. I'm like, man, why did I live in the fifties? <laughs> just... Everyone was just witty to each other. Everyone, uh, just not in, not only witty, it was like, not only witty, it was just like intelligent as well. Just like really, yeah. really cutting people down with their words. It was just hilarious. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it was. I was afraid it was going to be like too slow to get into, which is usually 
my big argument on this show with some movies where they just it's like too long, too slow, too hard to watch. Uh, but I, I didn't find that at all. I was interested in the, the conversations they were having, and uh, everything built nicely. It, it kept you guessing. You would think that uh, that something like this being this old would uh, like be uh, derivative, not in that this movie itself is derivative, but in that it's been ripped off so many times in movies nowadays that I would have seen. That Disturbia this would have felt... is the big one. Yeah, I've never seen that either, so that wasn't uh, a deal. But it's Shia LaBeouf. So... <laughs> but um, it would feel predictable just in that I've seen this ripped off so many times. But I, I it didn't. There was a, a couple times, like obviously we're watching it, and uh, you're you're trying to guess how things are going to pan out or what what you actually actively think is is going on here, and I was wrong quite a number of times. So uh, that was really cool. Um, the one thing I found unique that I alluded to earlier when we first started this, uh, the conversation that Stella was having with Jeffries about uh about his girlfriend and how he's making all the excuses as to why they're not meant to be together and why it wouldn't work and all that is completely contradictory to everything in the rest of the movie right yeah it's the one thing that i i noted it was the most glaring thing to me throughout the entire movie where i just kept thinking like with every conversation they had and with every you know little shenanigan they got into um I just kept thinking, like, these two are perfect for each other. Like, you really couldn't find a more perfect person for Jeffries. Yeah. She's going along with all of your your conspiracies. And, <laughs> I mean, obviously, he was vindicated at the end, but you don't know that while watching. And I'm exactly. thinking, like, she's going along with everything you're saying to the point of, like, it's not even just to – appease him and it never comes off as something just to appease him but she's just actively thinking the way you're thinking and uh so in that i felt like it was sort of like a love story uh in disguise as a thriller or you know whatever you want to categorize it as because it's very much about their relationship in i don't her proving is not the right the right way of going about it. Cause I don't think she's actively like trying to put on a show for him or anything, but it's proving to the audience that everything that Jeffrey said to Stella earlier was complete and utter BS. <laughs> like it was just <laughs> him just coming up, trying to come up with excuses as to why he doesn't want to commit when you're actively as of you're watching this and, and realizing like, granted I've only been with Jeffries for two hours now, but uh, there's not a better person on the face of the earth for you than this woman. Yeah. It's just commitment issues. That's yep. really the whole thing is. Yeah, I love this movie so much. It's my um, current third favorite film. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, it has such a personal meaning to me. And it was one of the films that I really just fell in love with. Uh, it made me want to really get more deep into this. So I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. Um, I didn't expect you to love it as much as I did because I love it to a crazy standard. So, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, so yeah, I, I love it. Uh, to me, it's Alfred Hitchcock's best. Uh, I know that's kind of up to for debate because he has so many great freaking movies, kind of like a Kubrick, even though he has more movies than Kubrick, but 
yeah, I, I love this movie so much. But yeah, so that's Rear Window. You have a movie to recommend, don't you? I do. Um, I have a movie that we're going to go over. Wait. Well, not next next episode because that'll be our year end edition. So in uh, two episodes from now, the deep dive. I've been thinking about what to what to go with. I have a kind of a running list in my head of of movies that I want to touch upon. Uh, some of the stuff, some stuff that Reed hasn't seen, and uh, I'm not going to go with those. I don't think not yet because there's one movie that I've been meaning to go back and revisit. I've seen it once. I loved it a lot. I, I believe I have it as a five-star film. And uh, I don't know, it's a movie that, that, that hit me. But for whatever reason, I never went back and watched it again. So, And it's been, you know, 15 years maybe. This is a movie that you have seen but you're going to go ahead and revisit it with me because it's something I want to see again. I know what it is. And it's uh it's a deep well of conversation. There's a lot to talk about in this. And uh it can go it can get pretty deep as pretty much as deep as you want it as well, as you want to take it. So uh the film we, we will be revisiting uh in two episodes from now will be uh Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Awesome. Cool. So is that what you, is that what you thought I was going to say? Uh, no, actually, but yeah, that works for me. <laughs> so uh, I thought you were going to go with uh, Magnolia because you've been saying how re- how much you wanted to, to rewatch that. I but. that is another one I absolutely want to. I have it. Uh, I have it downloaded, waiting to watch to revisit, especially after uh, AD reviewed it recently. But it's Magnolia is also one of those movies in my, the back of my mind that I yeah. want to go back watch we also said because i saw it recently and magnolia was i think i told you recently i saw it because i actually rewatched that recently too but yeah i don't think i've seen this in a while either or a while as in like a year it's been it's it was the first time i watched it i've only seen it once so it's a film that i've it's been so long since i've seen it but i've always considered it one of my favorites but i just never went back and revisited it but i always want to so we're gonna do that uh I, there's something funny that I, I realized early, uh, earlier this week when when settling on Eternal Sunshine. So I've, I've done three picks so far for deep dives, and it went and it was not intentional at all. But I went 80s, 90s, and now 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lethal really? We- that's funny. Lethal Weapon, True Romance, and now Eternal Sunshine. So that's what we'll be revisiting. That is again. Uh, two episodes down the line. Next episode will be our year big year end episode. We want to get that out, uh, you know, relatively soon uh, before the end of January because uh, who cares about year end stuff beyond January? Even though, I mean, even it's it's unavoidable. By the time we record, both of us are going to have still a list of movies that we really which, wish we could have seen. Yeah, which is unfortunate because I like to. I like to see every movie I can because I might miss something and then like a year later be like, oh, that's like 
in my top 10, you know, but I mean, it is what it is. I'll update it on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Letterboxd, if you want to follow either of us, I am BJ Smith Photo on Letterboxd. Read is me as Reed. Uh, both of us will both have lists there of our top 10, which I'm sure will be ever evolving over the next couple months as we finally catch up to all the 2018 releases. And if there's anything that we egregiously miss on the next episode, I'm sure in prior or in subsequent episodes, yeah. we will um, make a correction and let you know. I will shout out that I have a list of the best films I've seen, but it's all the films I've seen, and I just update it as I go along. So. I'm just shutting that out right now because, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun thing because then you get to see, like, films, how they started off as, like, you know, how they fallen down, you know. It's a cool thing to do. Yeah, and I don't even know how I'm going, going to approach the list making because this is where Letterboxd is kind of invaluable because you can kind of go back and – and look at everything, but yeah. I don't know that I don't know for sure that I'm going just on star ratings because there are some sure. films that are there that are rated lower than you know their peers that I that I think about more and maybe might end up on that list. But like I said, on that episode, we'll also have other guests coming in, uh, some longtime friends of ours talking about uh, movies, and I'm also going to throw out some extra, little extra categories to spice things up a bit, so that'll all be on the next ep- uh, next edition of the movie, but uh, we're going to end that here. So for Reed Ben, and I am BJ Smith, and we will talk to you again here in a few weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.